Welcome to Mechanations, a critical analysis podcast focused on machines that walk. I'm Ignis Maddox, joined by my two good friends, Stephen Hero and PMC Trilogy, back from break. Welcome. Oh, I say welcome. That's a normal thing I say to friends that I've <laughs> seen for a very long time. I mean, we're, we're on a different timeline now because That's we're now, now we're an hour, uh, I guess, uh, before where we used to be. I Do you think they have daylight savings time in the Universal Century? Oh, goodness. I'm sure that question has been answered in supplemental <laughs> material. Yeah, somewhere. Tomino has a very, very specific answer for it. I'm sure. I'm Gun- sure. Gundam fans will let you know online. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You can't be starting right away with this, Stephen. You're killing us. Speaking. Speaking of killing us, Stephen. Uh, uh, recently, you have been producing some excellent work on the in the field of uh, of giant robos, giant shitty robos, as some of our some of our co co t- mech conspirator no no i don't know i don't know what the the term would be for that it's not next twitter that's for that sort of thing i don't know what mech twitter i guess mech twitter sure let's yeah. go with that i don't know if that exists yeah. as a thing but there let's you go coin that phrase right here and right now No, i'm uncomfortable owning phrases but if other people do that then i will respect it but yeah um i don't know where i was going with this P- uh, steven tell us about your article <laughs> All right, so originally, you might remember that the, one of the last big articles I published was way back in, sometime in the summer, sometime in June. Uh, I published it over at Zimmeret, which is a great website, um, does a lot of great work in the field of cultivation and anime his- history. And originally, when I pitched Sean, the editor over there, when I originally pitched him the article, I pitched him on the substance of a game called Zardian, which is a 1992 sup- uh, Super Nintendo side-scroller. And Gainax had a hand in uh, planning the game. They didn't develop the game, but they helped plan the game. Um, so I really start, I dug deep into the stacks, so to speak, when I did my research. And then I realized that that was the story. Um, that essentially took 2,500 plus words um, describing the unique history of how that game came into being. When I got to 2,500 words, I realized I never really got to my original thesis, which was very bare bones. It was just Zardian shares a lot in common with Gunbuster, which isn't too surprising because they shared some staff. Yeah. So I was sitting on like half an article that was just like floating around on my hard drive. And I eventually, eight months later, got around to finishing it. And basically just describing that these games are not these games, but these projects are surprisingly similar. Um, they're separated only about three years in their creation. Um, but I focus on how... Um, number one, of course, and this might sound very basic. Like, you might be hearing me and going, yes, yeah, Stephen, we get it. A lot of mech shows and mech video games share a lot of the same tropes. And I would nod my head and say, you're right. Um, what's interesting here is just the degree to which these similarities intertwine. Um, so Gunbuster, of course, deals with pilots who come from different backgrounds and have to band together in order to defeat a galactic threat of aliens. Zardian is very similar, but that idea is actually baked into the game because you have to use different characters in order to get through these levels. So cooperation is built literally and figuratively into the experience, um, which, again, is a, it's a superficial read, but the similarities run deeper, actually. Um, the same writer worked on both... Well, all right, the same writer worked on both projects. The uh, gentleman who worked on the treatment for Zardian also contributed in a more peripheral role on Gunbuster as an advertising manager over at Gynax. Um, they, both projects share the same composer, which is interesting because both um, soundtracks have a lot of brassier, percussive pieces, but also some really like solid, more contemplative, quieter pieces. Kohei Tanaka is the composer. He also worked on the Pat, some Pat Labor stuff, Sakura Wars, Gravity Rush, which has a phenomenal soundtrack. Mm. Um, his 
output, output has been prolific. And Zardian, interestingly enough, has an arranged soundtrack you could check out on YouTube. In addition to the chip tunes, um, the arranged soundtrack has uh, some good tunes. Shout out to the Water Planet theme. It's, uh, it's got some good SNES ambiance. Mm. Like some, you know, if you're a fan of like Mitsuda's chip tunes or, of course, Nobuo Oematsu's you know, standout Final Fantasy 4 through 6 tracks, the quieter pieces, um, you might find something to like in that soundtrack. Um, but most interestingly, and this is when the similarities run deeper, is both games use time skips to their advantage to uh, create some really poignant moments. More so in Gunbuster, but the end of Zardian is surprisingly like deep for a very basic side-scroller that doesn't hit you over the head with a lot of plot in the beginning of the game. Mm. And a really smart decision on both parts that they don't reveal the main mech of which both of them get their titles until later in the game or later in the show, which I think works to the advantage because it really creates a sense of mystery that pulls you through it. Um, so that's basically my article if you listen to that, but I definitely recommend that you check it out uh, more fully. There's a lot of interesting factoids, some cool pictures, and yeah, I've got more, I will say this, I've got more interesting pieces in the works, longer, longer form pieces, um, so look forward to those whenever I get around to writing them. This took about eight months, so we'll see. It's, it's hard to uh, sometimes um, carve out the space in my schedule to write, especially at the end of a long day. Yeah, I mean, hey, if you, even if you just listen to this and you're like, oh, well, I guess I got the gist, go click on the article anyway. Go click on it. Go do it. That's fine. Send it to everybody you know and tell them to click on it. That'd be great. That'd be, that would be superb. But even, even, you know, listening to this, Stephen wrote it out, and you should check out Stephen's writing, which is great in general. Also, give our give our Gunbuster history an episode, episode a listen if you haven't already. We we uh, oh, recorded Gunbuster. a real doozy of an episode. That's the that's where the George Lucas impersonation makes its appearance. Is that true? Uh, yeah, it is one hundred percent true. <laughs> listen, and the episode is called George Lucas's Evangelion, I believe. Oh yes, okay, that sounds mm, right. Yeah, listen, that sounds about right. Gunbuster is incredible. Uh, 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 I think, I think, uh, Discotech will be releasing that, that collection soon, right? Isn't that a thing that they announced? It'll be 2022. I'm guessing a little later. They're still, they've got a lot of work uh, curating those extras is it, that yeah. will be included. Is that on the, the one where they announced uh, that they're making for the first time an English dub? Is that? Yes. yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lot um, to live up to. I mean, Nor- Norico, that's a hard, I mean, I, I don't envy that role, but like if, if it works, then power to you, whoever gets that job. I was just I was just thankful that this is not a visual medium because I did <laughs> I did make a face when you said that. And that's that's not fair. Dubs are good. Listen, I'm not listen, I'm not a hater. Please stop pointing the the, the hater aid at me, PMC. That is mm-hmm. that is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Well look, if, if you need visual aids again, click click on Steven's article. Uh you know, the art from this era of, of games is always Wonderful and delightful, and I think what's especially true, too, is that not only is the game itself visually interesting, but also games of this era had a lot of art that came with them, and, you know, forms of manuals right. and other things, and, you know, I think there's some of that uh, in the article as well, uh, and I, I love that stuff. Yeah, a lot, a lot of interesting mecha talent, uh, like, young mecha talent contributed to this project, um, so definitely read over my history article, too, which details that, but yeah, that's some sick art. The game, if you wanted to track down the game... Okay, yeah, I mean, go for it. It's got some jank. It's got it's very. It's got some float to it. It's. Um, oh, did you, did you, it's how, not, how much did you? I, I I don't think I saw where not in the article. Did you mention if you played it or? I did play. Okay. Through it. I actually picked up a cart, which wasn't too expensive on a secondhand market. Both in uh, if you buy the Super Famicom version or the US version, mm-hmm. thirty forty dollars, which in this market is. Yeah, is I was gonna yes. say that's not for for now for the prices of now. <laughs> it's okay. 
Well, the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, I wanted to just kind of back up what you were saying about the the technique of kind of delaying the reveal of your main machine until mm. later into the narrative. I think especially when you're doing Super Robot, which Gunbuster is and therefore Zardian kind of is also just by by nature. It helps build the mystique. It helps uh, grant it a kind of like, you know, divine status one way or the other because then it kind of comes to your aid, even if it's something more realistic, maybe... I mean, Steven, you can correct me. I would assume that Zardian trends more towards the super robot. I mean, it's yeah. one robot versus a million aliens, right? That's usually, or or some kind of alien or other force. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. The, if you take a look at the mech designs, too, you have some more traditional, like, mechs, which you could go, oh, that could fit maybe into a real robot show. But then you got, like, Panthera, which is like a tiger mech, something straight out of Zoids. Oh, yeah. And, and some alien motherfucker who looks cool, but certainly not grounded or realistic. Well, there you go. I just think that that's an effective technique, and I love to see it. That works. I think, I mean, even uh, bu- bu- something as modern as Promare does something like that, if you think about mm. it, where the Deus Ex uh, turns into a Deus Ex Machina, turns into something different, a little bit more into the movie. I guess spoilers, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, check out the article. Uh, uh, is that also on um, uh, Colony Drop? Z- Zimmerit? Yes, it's also on Zimmerit. Hell yeah. All right. Speaking of. Hmm. <laughs> the color green? Uh, nope. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm trying to think. What has um, the Zoc returned? Uh, I'm trying to think of. Oh goodness, the Zoc. It's it's fucked up. How I know we don't do this. I know I get mad when mm-hmm. you when this happens. But uh, I thought it was fucked up how Waypoint this week started off with discussion of Zagox, and and uh, oh. uh, yeah, they were talking about uh, it was. <laughs> I got so mad at the that guy thing, but yeah, like I, I no, I, I couldn't, like yes, I. That's strange. Yeah, not a fan. <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk about another other podcast, but I will say, as we segue, I think maybe into our our next introduced topic. Uh, if any of our listeners are checking out Code Fairy, I would be curious. I don't know if any of them are, but yeah. I, I, did, I know uh, the first third of that is I released now. I think on PS4 and PS5. So yes, yes, all right. Th- that's why I wanted to ask. I wasn't sure if it received a full release or as a partial release or how that was. I believe it's being released done. in three chunks. My understanding. Okay. Kind of like uh, like Revelations two, where they yeah. release parts of the game over time. I think that's right. It's going to be a pretty compact series, like series of time. I think it'll be out in full by by twenty twenty two. I think. So. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I don't want to play it, but um. If, it, um well, I. I, I I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about what I've heard. Uh, the the gameplay sounds interesting to me. The uh, everything around it seems less interesting, um, and that's why I'm just you know asking if any you know if any listeners out there have gone near it, especially like also you know, if you've played Battle Operation Two. I don't play multiplayer games at all anymore, really. So I definitely have not gone near Battle Operation yeah. Two. Um, I just want to say, I don't you know if if you're playing it and you're interested, you've, all power to you. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's all I was saying. I, yeah. I, I don't want to do it, <laughs> which is why one of you should do it or, or tell PMC to do it. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's fine with me. That is, that was all I was saying. Mm-hmm. Speaking of video games though, a video yeah. game of the past that I have been playing myself for the first time is the legend of Zelda twilight princess. And I have been having a really fun time with it. I am about, I, I want to guess my, my guess is that I'm, Maybe halfway through, or maybe a third or something, because I've just gotten the Master Sword. 
I'm on my way to find the Mirror of Twilight. And, uh, you know, I can now control when I can switch between, you know, human and wolf. And I've got the Master Sword, et cetera, et cetera. And I've just been, I think I've been impressed because uh, I feel like I've gotten the the normal, the expected highs of Zelda that I have enjoyed all the temples so far, the, the, the tree temple and death mountain and the lake bed temple ha- have all been a lot of fun. I think what's really impressed me about Twilight Princess is the uh, two things. Uh, one is that the uh, there's a lot of like cool action set pieces between the dungeons. Uh, I usually my complaints yeah. about Zelda games historically have been sometimes between dungeons things get kind of annoying or I feel difficult to follow. I think this is when I tried to play like Ocarina of Time. Like this was a complaint I had. Um, here it's like, oh, let's do an exciting escort sequence where you're going to like shoot stuff on horseback while guarding the Zora child. Like, okay, I'm into this. Like, let's, let's go. Let's, let's, or any of the bridge sequences, any of the bridge fights, you know, like those are, those are fun set pieces as well. And then the other thing I would say is that I think in the discourse, this game is regarded as being edgy and I, that is not the word i would use at all uh, i mean certainly it's uh twilight it's a, a darker uh a more morose sort of um you know a, a mood to it but like it's just really really pleasant actually i i love all the sounds the sounds of the enemies uh minna's lament uh, i think all the uh the aesthetic around that is is really really fun and neat uh you know and because i think the part of the impression is that i was given was that this was reactionary to uh to the criticism of wind waker that was, and, that's correct mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like that to me it just feels like its own thing which is good that, that's what i that's what i want want, want it to be i can uh, tell you definitively yeah. the reason it is this direction was because of the reaction to okay Windwaker. that's that's not hearsay that mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. like a that was a active yeah, confirmed. directorial okay. choice like that is a but but having said that you, you know and you'll run into this as you continue like they they go Nintendo can't go the whole way with this. Like you can mm-hmm. tell that there's on the staff there is or like the creative staff of the people behind the scenes like there is that tendency. You can feel it in there. Like you can feel that same sort of like sense of there's a there's a kind of like half sense of malaise or or uh uh, uh melancholy that mm-hmm. is throughout the the feel of Twilight Princess that never uh, or not never, that's not the word I'm looking for. If you do not explore a lot of the kind of like ins- incidental dialogue and stuff like that, you-, you might not get the sense of the like the social malaise that's going on. But as as far as a like, and by that I just mean that there's like, especially o- with areas overcome by Twilight, a general depression that's going on amongst people. And you could feel that just in the the vibe as well. Like they they definitely tried to create a color palette that felt modern, which at the time I think f- feels like muddy to mm-hmm. us now. But I think Twilight Princess, because of the 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 almost the neon greens and the the sort of uh, especially with the Twily stuff, uh, the the highly um, stylized sort of designs that. Um, you know, uh, uh, I think PMC, what, you, what you're experiencing is a the ideal situation for experiencing any piece of, of mm-hmm. art, really, which is you're you're outside of yeah. any discourse. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you're yeah. not really like you, you can't you're not in what Zelda fans feel about Twilight Princess in particular, which is like the first thing. You know, it's funny. 
uh, you were talking and then you mentioned something negative about Ocarina of Time and then yes. all I could hear was the <laughs> uh, uh, video feed in Event Horizon, you know, that they find. <laughs> like, that was kind of what was playing in my head while you were finishing mm-hmm. what you were saying about Twilight Princess. But, um, it, it, you know, if you ask someone who's deep into Legend of Zelda, other than me, they would tell you that the big problem with Twilight Princess is that it's a rehash of Ocarina of Time. Is that ah. they're they're trying too mm-hmm. carefully to, you know, uh, kind of recapture that that sort of uh, uh, tone where it is regarded, at least in in like America and other places that we would regard as like the West, whatever, as as like cool, acceptably yes. cool. The, the thing about Wind Waker was that it wasn't cool, right? I mean, obviously, that's not true. No. Wind Waker is an incredibly cool Very game. Good. But uh, the, the, if you're in middle school and you have a GameCube instead of a PlayStation 2, and right now your older brother is playing Grand Theft Auto 3, and you're trying to play Wind Waker on the only TV in the in the living room, mm. it, it could be a difficult conversation yeah. to be like, no, this game is just as cool as Grand Theft Auto. Now, granted... I we all now know yeah, that Wind Waker is a better turned. game. Yes, exactly. Tables are turned. I, tell you, I mean, I, I can't get. I don't want to get in the other subject, uh, folks. I just want you to know. Oh, I, yeah. am, I am on the front lines of definitive edition. Speaking of being inside the discourse, I am on yeah, the front lines real. of that definitive edition discourse. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. I am sure if I. Ah. Sure of it if, if it's worth an intro disc, I'll bring it up probably in the future. But yeah, but right. Zelda, uh, which is you know. Yeah, uh, safer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here the, the thing I'll say is that I, for me, uh, Ignis Twilight Princess has always been a favorite. Always really liked it because it's very narrative heavy. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it really leans on the, some of the narrative stuff in a way that I like. It skimps out in some areas that I, you know, I can't talk to you about yet when we when we get to the end. Mm-hmm. To answer your question about how deep in, um, I, uh, I would say like. Like half is probably close to right, a little bit less than half. Yeah, I would a little say. bit less than half was going to be my my guess, just because I feel like I, I feel like the the opening segment of gathering the fused shadows didn't quite feel like a full half. So yeah. I was like, mm, there's going to be another maybe post mirror. I would have more confidently said we're past the halfway point. So the thing uh, the thing that's interesting about Twilight Princess, and it's so funny that you haven't brought any of this up like it's just not hasn't been your experience really is that when it came out there are a lot of people who regarded it as like tedious that that there was a lot of busy work in it um and famously heather ann campbell uh who is now one of the hosts of the how did this get played podcast when she reviewed it uh she said uh playing twilight princess is like being tricked into doing your grandmother's chores Famously, yeah, I would agree with that face. I think that's extremely rude. I, I mean, but that, well, <laughs> I, well, I was gonna say, I actually, um, you to know, be I, fair, I, I want to be clear. Yes, Heather Campbell, I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. She's great and very funny, and I love how this get played. That, yeah, I, I just disagree with her opinion about Twilight Princess. <laughs> I, I have, uh, I am fortunate enough to have uh, someone who is a, 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 I think a technology writer who uh, occasionally comes by my stream, and I think he also writes about video games. And he came in and mentioned that Twilight Princess was his his least favorite 3D Zelda, Ooh. and uh, this was like while I was pretty early on, and uh, and I said like, well, how come? Like, I I really loved the opening sequence that you know, because 
I think an opening sequence that gets you to know your hometown, you do a bunch, you do a diverse set of interesting quests that all intersect, and then you come back to that town as a wolf and you spook everyone. That's like a really funny, like whimsical, but like also like in like a, a like a dark fairy tale kind of way, right? Like yeah, I think it's very totally. effective for introducing the setting. And he's like, no, nah, that's kind of slow. I thought I'm like, come on, bro. <laughs> yeah, I I think I I agree. I think there's a certain amount, and I don't know if this is me. I don't want to come off like I'm blaming the mm-hmm. audience ever, right? But I think what you're what's going on in there is that you're 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 engaging with the premise, right? Which is like you're sort of you know that you're understanding that these tasks are in front of you to get you sort of into the headspace of the characters mm-hmm. in this case, and then they're purposely you know upsetting you in the Legend of Zelda way. Like this is the thing I was going to bring up is that I think the thing that you're missing is the sense that the Zelda fandom regards even these the light attempts at the the sort of tonal shift that is you know uh, how do I put this overt I guess is what mm-hmm. I would say or more overt um because I think the missing thing that that is in you don't have in your lexicon and I'm not blaming you it's not no. a thing that you you're it's just the facts but you have not played Majora's Mask no. which is an antecedent text is what I would say mm-hmm. especially when it comes to a a disguised darkness right because majora's mask the one of the main reasons it's regarded as one of the best zeldas is because it's the dark one um which i say with a little bit of disdain a little tiny (laughs) bit because it what i would say is that it's it is recognized it has been examined enough to be recognized as the dark one but it what i would say is that it has about as much implied darkness as basically any 3d game that people had to work a ton of time on does like you know you'll that's why all those stupid haunted cartridge sorts of of myths exist is because there's just a sort of fascination with the amount of personhood that needs to go into these works of art at all and so Mm -hmm. the idea that you know uh, a being might be imprinted on it is not the craziest thing but the thing um um the thing i wanted to say mostly was that the the because you haven't played Majora's Mask, the it might feel like the the Zelda fan who would say something like Twilight Princess is edgy might see what Twilight Princess is doing, especially in its first two thirds, and think it's like trying too hard, basically, mm, okay. as compared to something like Majora's Mask, which is very like Stephen. You know, you were you were. Uh, uh, gesticulating in vic- victory when I mentioned Majora's Mask earlier, you would re- you would describe it as like like uh, 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 not subtly dark, but it's not overtly dark. There's the big moon that's glaring down at you, but it's not yeah. like you know kids are bawling in the street. Like one of the big aspects of Majora's Mask is the denial, right? Like people are just yeah. going about the day to day business as the moon is like. You know, like literally coming at them like <laughs> Zardoz. Um, uh, you know that that's not going on in Twilight Princess in the same way. Twilight Princess will instead the the spirit of the lake will give you give Link real bad mushrooms, and, and you will have a real bad time before starting the lake bed temple, uh, which is to me one of my most uh, notable uh, Twilight Princess cutscene mm. moments. Is that just was good. that, yeah. That yeah, whole sequence was very good. Sequence is fun. Uh, I'm I'm interested in the Twily. I think there is a tendency in Zelda fans to get real nerdy and uh, 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 
you know, try to figure out the specifics of some of these legends then and like uh figures that have passed on like there's a lot of thoughts about who the three like shadow links mm. are who represent the twily and you know the and the the Ilya, the phantom Ilya who stabs you with the little knife you know <laughs> and that sort of stuff like there's a bunch of thoughts about stuff like that but you know and i'll send you this later um i you might not maybe you've noticed already uh uh, Midna, who we haven't talked about yet, who of course is great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Midna is a fan favorite as far as the the s- sidekicks in the 3D games go. Fee will always be my favorite, but but Midna is very very good. Uh, Midna's helmet, uh, which you know, I'm sure you noticed the piece, the pieces of Fuse Shadow, you know, are similar to that that mm, helmet very. she's got. Yeah. Uh, the the patterns on it you might have noticed are are real similar to the patterns on the guardians from Breath of the Wild mm, and some yeah, of the yeah. Sheikah stuff. Mm. Uh, there's also some technology that we see in Skyward Sword, uh, which is from the far future times where um, some mechs have existed oh, that look suspiciously like the Twi'le, um markings that Midna has, mm-hmm. which which is interesting. It combines a lot of that. That stuff, like, listen, none of this is anything. They don't have, there's no answer to this. <laughs> no, absolutely, but, yeah. But the soup of that, the stew of that is is something that I think makes Zelda special because they have that legacy to build on. You can put images, like, like earlier you were doing the Lake Bed Temple and every door in that temple has the Zora's Sapphire on it, which is a symbol. It's just three, it's just three, like, ovals, right? Mm-hmm. But if yeah. you're sitting there playing it and you're an Ocarina of Time person, you're like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, Princess Ruto told me that this is a symbol for Zora engagement. And that makes me think of, you know, the the Zora queen who is a ghost, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, that stuff like that is it helps build a tapestry that other games don't have the benefit of doing necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like Just Cause doesn't quite have the same. You yeah, know? I mean, like, I feel like the closest you get to is any you know, any series where you have like defined architectures for species. So, like, Halo would come to mind because of the Halo. way it establishes Covenant, Forerunner, and blah blah blah. Final Fantasy, yeah, 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 stuff like that, where there's yeah. just a, a formed legacy of stuff. Yeah, I hope you continue to enjoy. I'm trying to think of other things I wanted to ask you about. Has the has the baby has the baby started their shop yet? Yeah, yeah, no, I did buy some stuff off. I bought the I bought the Hylian shield off of the baby, and the I bought baby. the uh, the the hawk mask off the yes. baby as well. Okay. Uh, it's very alarming. I, I don't know why the baby is engaged in commerce, but the boss baby. Yeah, um, it's strange. I forget. I don't know if it's happened yet, or if you need to spend a certain amount. But at a certain point, um, the boss baby hires some some uh, help and some songs. So oh. you start as you walk in. There's a very, very good song that plays through the boss baby. Okay, song. it's very, right. very good. That's good um, to know. No, that's that's good. That's good. Good helpful advice. You'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, when it happens. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Other than that, I mean, I really like the NPC design in this game. I know someone in your chat was not a big fan, but uh, I think that they're all pretty fun. You know, I, uh, I, I, I'm really excited. I hope I get to meet more of, of Telma and her crew. They all seem pretty Telma's dope. Telma's great. I so, love Telma. Telma's good. I, I just, I'm excited for the, for like the, they feel like it, like an A team, like the, the Legend of Zelda A team. So I'm, I'm ready for that. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. What do we got here? That's not bad. I, yeah. I thought I would spend a lot more time talking about Twilight Princess than I did, but you're, you're only so, so much time. through. 
Yeah, the one thing... Okay, I'm going to say one last thing. Okay. About Twilight, Legend of Zelda <laughs> Twilight Princess. Two last things. Two last things. Ready? Uh, first off, Twilight Princess is a mech game uh, uh, because well, while Link is in wolf form, often uh, Midna is riding around on, on, on Link and it is implied that she is piloting him around. Therefore, it's a mech game. Uh, second, uh, uh, Twilight Princess Zelda is the best Zelda design before Breath of the Wild came out. Breath of the Wild Zelda is the best Zelda design currently, I would say, but Twilight Princess was the best before. I did I do like Skyward Sword quite a lot. I would say that Twilight Princess I would put a little bit ahead of Skyward Sword. But yeah, that is that is the last that is the final word. No one will ever have an opinion on Legend of Zelda after this. Nope, that's it. <laughs> that's the last Back one. Up. Man, I really do admire you. You shot down a mobile suit all by yourself. Oh, come on. I just barely... Don't play it down. You're obviously a very beautiful, talented young lady. Hey, I'm gonna go take a shower. You've only got five minutes. The Zeons will be back in no time at all. Yes, sir. Hey, you want to join me, Mirai? Sadly, I'll have to miss out. Whatever. Come on, fellas. Let's rest up. Sure. Let's go. Okay. We're coming with you. All right. Speaking of opinions... <laughs> I guess I guess that's what we do. We are mm. opinion havers and sharers. We create opinions and we give them to you, the audience. Uh, We're in the salt mines of opinions each and every day, producing content for you people. Man, I I I thought you know we're we're going to space. I could have sworn I was like you know surely the episode focusing on the three kiddos would be the last like kind of filler episode, but uh <laughs> uh. That was that was a substance episode. It turns that out that was a substance was... episode. Yep, <laughs> that was. <laughs> I did not know what a filler episode even looked like. Apparently, but uh, let's let's go ahead and get started on Mobile Suit Gundam this week. Let's return to Mobile Suit Gundam after a week off. Mobile Suit Gundam episode thirty-one: Exit pursued by a Zanzibar, which is which is not the title. It is called a decoy in space. I believe is the title this week. Yep. After a visual demonstration of the plan which involves the white base launching in one direction and the rest of the fleet launching in another, one of the admirals decides to drop a quick drama bomb right in Mariah and Bright's lap before piecing out. The timeline doesn't give anyone time to hash things out, as the white base needs to launch ASAP. Before that can happen, the white base are joined by a new crew member, Slugger Law. Slugger is a real piece of work. Argumentative and inappropriate. Figures. Anyway, Char is on a new Zanzibar armed with something called the Big Grow. He's read the script, of course, so he knows instantly what the plan is, but that won't change the action in this episode, since things need to happen on this show. Sela and Char individually struggle, well, Sela struggles, with the knowledge of actively fighting against someone they love, and the Big Row Mobile Armor offers its own unique challenges in combat. Eventually, after deploying the Gundam, the Big Row is dealt with, and Sela manages to take out one of the Rick Doms. Bright is positive Char was behind such a bold attack, and congratulates Slager for actually being useful. Slager makes a clumsy pass at Mirai before the episode just sort of ends. Right? That, that's, yeah. That's a bit... <laughs> well, I, okay. I mean, maybe quick, quick text question about the end of the episode. He asks Mirai to go to the shower, and then yeah, he rolls off the with the boys. Yeah. Was, uh-huh. was he also rolling off to the shower with the boys? I mean, that's fine. I, Sometimes you gotta hit the locker room. like. The, <laughs> well, so that was the thing. It, like... Uh, the it, that's why it's a clumsy pass, right? Because right. it, it, like, so what is he? Is is Mariah, If Mariah joins him, 
Because he, he goes off to the showers with the rest of the boys. He, she's joining all of them in that case, right? I like, guess it's so. not like what yeah. the implication would be, which is like, let's go have sex in the shower. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like it's, it's like, oh, why don't you just shower too next to me? <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Do you want to talk about Slugger Law right yeah. now? Like, like, let's talk about Slugger Law. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, you already kind of said as much that we, we feel like this is a little bit of uh, a filler. But one of the new things in these two episodes is the character of Slegger Law. And I, I've been trying to, you know, get, get a handle on him because certainly his first impression uh, as you know, from your, your summary, Ignis is that, you know, he's kind of a, he's kind of a creep, kind of a weirdo. Uh, yeah, he sucks. Yeah. He's not very, it doesn't seem very effective. It seems kind of like, uh, you know, like the kind of like, um, they, they had someone they needed to get rid of and they put him on white base. Well, that's uh, I okay. So this is the thing I, I was having a hard time with, right? Because it, it, I sure wish Slager Law. You know what would be great about this character? First off, I want to mention that the reason I was doing a Sylvester Stallone impression <laughs> while I was reading my Slager Law summary is because it turns out, according to some trivia I found, that Slager Law was meant to look like Rocky. Like like apparently that about the right. Rocky. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I didn't read that trivia before now, but yeah, I could see that. Slugger Law was meant to look like Sylvester Stallone, in other words, and and uh, apparently Yasuhiko had not seen Rocky, so he just kind of, he was like, well, uh, American, I guess, because that's that's really where Slugger Law comes off to me, so he looks like 1979 Keith, Bandit Keith from Yu-Gi-Oh, right? That's what he looks like, and and. That's it reminds me of that tweet. I can't remember uh you know it, where it was from. I it, I don't want to say maybe it was Chef Lubu. This r- seems like a Chef Lubu kind of thing to me, but like when an American is in the anime, you can tell. <laughs> you know? It's not a it's not a secret. And Sigur Law is is very much like an American character. Um I don't know. Yeah, he's one slab of American meat. Yeah, I just uh I guess for me it's annoying when part of the like social like uh uh uh, tapestry requires that the the women not tell him to fuck off like that's not the correct answer as far as like the show is concerned and like as far as like the men who wrote the show intend it to be so like none of them can really be like ew which is just like really what I mean. The thing that also sucks is that I I have I have some memory of the future and like this turns into a real thing. This isn't like a joke thing that, that nobody takes seriously. Like Slager Law is like a real candidate of like Mirai love interest, and I'm like, oh dear. what the fuck? Yeah, I mean that's the thing is I feel like there's you know there's already just because I feel like I'm I'm used to curveballs being thrown i i'm right away the the heaviness of the bad first impression suggests to me okay well obviously you're gonna try to make me you're gonna try to have him win the audience over in the long run that just feels like a, an inevitable thing and we kind of get that tipped off because i think the uh the voices of truth the uh the oracles of white base the children are like oh i wonder if he's just like ryu now of course he's not like ryu uh, but but that's still you know i think indicative of um you know w- where things are going to go yeah yeah i mean I, like slager is indisputably a slime ball um it, it sucks too because like given how the women on board white base are already treated you know they're largely sidelined 
sometimes objectified. It's discouraging that they have another obstacle to overcome, which really sucks. I would say that as far as war stories go, Slegger is like a classic war story archetype. Yeah. You know, the womanizing fly, fly boy. If, ever, if any of you have ever seen Blackadder, um, the fourth season of Blackadder, which takes place during World War I, there's a character name. I can't remember the actor who plays him, but Lord Flashheart. Sure. Um, uh, Slager has a lot less stage presence than Lord Flashheart, but, but they're both slime balls, and these character archetypes appear all the time in war stories. I will say this, though. Not really in defense of Slager, but in defense of adding new crew members, because I've, sure. I've been like banging that drum for a while now. I'm not entirely unreceptive to a disruption in the status quo. I just wish it wasn't Slager. Uh, I would have much rathered it to be Miharu or just someone new, but I do like how the writers are taking into account that we've lost some uh, crew uh, crewmates. It's time to get some additional... It's a tr- time to get some new blood on board. And I like that idea. If we're tracking and following the white base for 40-plus episodes, it's only natural that people are going to come and go, and you're going to get some new faces on board white base, which I like. I wish there was a little bit more of that. I wish the... D- wish the um, situation on board Whitebase was a little bit more fluid. But I am curious to see if and how the dynamics of the crew will change with a, a really strong character. And strong, I mean, just that you feel their presence on board Whitebase. I think it's interesting that he calls Mirai a babe, right? Or like a, like a hottie or whatever. Because like, and this is no offense to Mirai, who I love. I would have told you based off of the signaling, the visual, like what we've got, it, that Mirai is like regular. That she's, she's, she's pretty, you know, that she's, she's obviously put some work into presenting herself, even though she's like in the military, but you know, the being a woman in, you know, 1979, whatever. Um, but the, the, you know, the, if before I mentioned Mariah's like a regular ass person, that's always how I've seen her in the show. And for Slager to be, it's just interesting to me to, to have this character. Like, I almost wish this was text that he was a guy who, whose like thing was aggressively regular looking people, you know, like that, <laughs> then I would find that kind of charming. If right? you like pushed uh, Sayla aside to get to yeah. Mariah, that would have helped, <laughs> helped this gag a lot. Well, like, so, because that's kind of my thing, is that we've already, this feels like a hat on the hat to me, because we've already introduced, uh, you know, spoilers for next week, Griffin McElroy, uh, uh, Mirai's uh, uh, fiancé, who lives on side <laughs> So we've we've already, oh, you guys know, you know, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but you're right, I just, I'm just um, laughing because you're right, you're right. Um, And, and like, now we've, we're getting this other guy who sucks like definitely just sucks in a way that like everyone would understand this is a a shitty person uh so like he's not even fun like it's not even fun to watch him succeed where bright fails uh because he sucks and he shouldn't get any reward for his like what i would prefer is that mariah and sayla tell him the fuck off right but that's not the society they live in like that's never gonna happen in this show uh so you know whatever um yeah, I'm trying to think of of the like if I have like another note on Slager Law. What what's his performance like in the dub? Do they try and Sylvester Stallone him or not really? Yeah, I mean he's not he's not as indecipherable uh, audibly mm-hmm. <laughs> as a true Sylvester Stallone performance. <laughs> uh, but he's definitely schmarmy. You know, he's definitely yeah. yeah like he, he he like they because they gave the, the performance. You know, the Japanese performance is definitely like a cool guy. He mm-hmm. sounds like a cool guy. He doesn't quite sound like disgusting. 
in the way that like when you just read his text he sounds like so i have to assume part of the reason they're not just like ew fuck off is because it doesn't it must not come off the way it reads <laughs> but like i hear what he's saying like it it doesn't sound good like this is one of those things that that helps a lot like listen i don't speak the language i don't speak or read japanese at all but i i understand tone i understand when someone is speaking formally and informally right and the thing about Slager is that he talks like an asshole. You can tell he's, he's, he's speaking like someone without any respect, right? Versus Amro, where even when he's being like, like a, you know, like a wiener, like he often is, like he's being a wiener very politely a lot of the time, most of the time, right? So it, that kind of thing can help, but it's interesting that with Slager, I, my, my expectation is that the English dub is even more insufferable. <laughs> Well, I, I think yeah. I, I mean, the answer is I think yes. You, you you would find it leading in that direction. I think the like the the standout like dub different line for me is when Slugger gets shown to his quarters. He he uh, he says to Amaro, "Thanks, little buddy." <laughs> Which is just like that to me is like very That's representative funny. of how you know how he talks to you know all the other crew members that are not Mariah or Sailor. He's he's voiced by Bill Mondi. Uh, who doesn't have a lot of voice acting credit to his name. But interestingly enough, he voiced Jack Wade. For you Bond fans out there, Jack Wade is Joe Don Baker's character from <laughs> GoldenEye and the other Bond film. But he voiced Jack w- Wade in the classic Bond video game, 007 Racing, that came out in 2000. 007 Racing. You can't curse me like that. Like I, You <laughs> just put me in the curse end by bringing up that video Joe game. Joe Don Baker is another slab of American meat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was thinking, like, if this character was voiced by, like, whoever voices Launchpad McQuack in DuckTales, then I'd be like, yes, this is a perfect, yes, I get it. I understand who this character is supposed to be. But, like, it, playing him straight like this, I'm like, ugh, get him away. I don't want to see this fucking guy. Do you know what I would have liked? You know, while we're talking about, you know, th- things I would have liked to change about the show or the direction we're going in. Because I agree with you, Steven. I agree that adding someone like this like to shake things up is a good idea in general, like in theory. What I wish though, is that if we were going to introduce another like slacker into the mix, like at all, I would love a slacker on the Xeon side. I would love to see that actually Xeon is, is actually equal to the Federation that they also have shitty assholes who somehow make it up enough to get into something like the white base, right? This is the thing I was going to get to about Slager being so shitty is that like, yeah, the implication is that he is not jumping to orders because Bright is younger than him and he's being kind of like difficult about it. But the the thing to me is that like, how is this person still in the military at all is right. Like, I don't understand. Like, and this is what PMC was saying is like, it, it really feels like they purposefully put, someone difficult in this position just as a kind of fuck you like we've talked about it before and you can kind of see it in the intro of this episode when the people in charge of the federation are talking about the war it really feels like there's a huge disconnect for them and whatever is supposed to be happening like they do not seem concerned about like not in a like oh we're definitely going to win this sort of way but it feels like they're talking about a project that and maybe this is kind of true but a project that other people are doing in like some far away country. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, like- yeah. Now, it definitely, like, it feels like they are drawing on uh, an inevitability of statistics that like everyone else in the room doesn't see. You know, it's it's like 
like that officer that I think you're referring to from the beginning of the episode, like they talk about, oh, you know, Zeon is low on resources and, you know, taking Solomon will break them and it'll end the war. And, you know, it feels like, and if we widen uh, I-95 again, it'll reduce traffic congestion. (laughs) And like, brother, you have no idea what you're talking about. Shut up. Like, that's that's certainly part of it, but like it also just creates the sense still. And, and I know I'm sorry, Machinations listeners. I'm sure I'm sorry you're hearing you're tired of hearing this, but like the this sense that for me of of like wrestling with the 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 nature of of the story as it's happening to us and the intentions of like the plot. And what I mean by that is it 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 feels to me like incredibly inorganic the more that and especially in this episode the more stuff that is piled on the white base to deal with and the the things that are removed as obstacles from zeon specifically uh because there's a moment in this episode so we get we have a lot of business this is perfect right because we're we're yeah. done with 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 fucking um uh, uh you know uh, we we don't got anything yeah, else to say but it's like a love yeah, we don't got anything else for Slager, so uh, we'll put him away for right now. Uh, so they they take off. The plan is, and we heard about this plan last week, or not last week, we were talking about Dune last week, the week before that, um, where the white base is going to launch, I guess, from one direction of the Earth, and I, the rest of the fleet will launch from the other, appears to be the plan. Um, and that's fine, whatever. I, I, I'm not really here to judge the specifics of the plan. For me, and I think we talked... Oh, oh, Steven. I, I do have a note about the plan, though. Like, based on the last episode that we watched, I thought they were really trying to set up a pointed critique. Like, it really felt dramatic when we had that bit about Bright getting the orders that they're going to be a decoy. Mm-hmm. Not to come across as callous myself, but this doesn't seem to be a particularly vindictive plan. Like, what I know about the like the pieces on the chessboard right now... Uh, the Federation knows that the Xeon place and places an enormous amount of value on the white base, like a, a comically large amount of value on the white base. Like to the Xeon sharks, the white base is blood in the water. And honestly, from the Federation perspective, this is not the worst move in the world. Like to use the white base as bait, um, albeit bait that can defend itself with the world's most powerful weapon, to lure the Xeon out. Um, give them a few other ships to defend themselves, as there are other ships alongside the white base, and then use the main force to strike from behind. Like, honestly, I'd probably do the same thing, which to me reads a little at odds with the conclusion of episode 30, which almost framed the Federation higher-ups as having like an axe to grind either against Bright or this the idea of the white base and its crew. And I really thought they were going to set up a little bit more like pointed critique of the Federation's moves here, um, but I really didn't get that read in these two episodes. Well, I agree that they didn't, do anything with it i definitely agree that you're right that that they set up a thing in 30 or at least a point of view in 30 that never got picked up in 31 and 32 um but i would the white base is practically like wiping the floor with uh with the Xeon soldiers well so the thing i want to say is that um the the reason why it's coming off or at least my read and why 30 comes off as such a portentous or ominous ending is because this is what this is what amuro was saying they were the federation was going to do to them that this is this is that thing he was paranoidly saying to himself when he was in solitary confinement like they're going to make us into you know the, we're we're some kind of bait for the Xeon. they're they're going to leave us out to dry and like you know 16 episodes later or whatever he's completely correct and like the problem is you know the show can't really 
in an interesting way, first off, this is something else I was going to talk about these two episodes. Oh, uh, I, I failed to mention that uh, the script this week was Hiroyuki Hoshiyama, the unit director was Hiroshi Matano, and animation director this week, maybe his last episode? Uh, yeah, it I is. figured you were going to mention this, uh, was uh, uh, Yoshikazu Yasuhiko. I believe this is the last one he does before he goes into the hospital, is that correct? Yeah, he was balancing work on Mobile Suit Gundam and Yamato 2 at the time. He will be back for the movies, the compilation films, and he worked on Zeta and Gundam F91. And he had allegedly an an interesting falling out with Tomino. Um, oh, yeah. That was later, like, patched up, but uh, we might talk about that in a future uh, history episode. These, these hands ain't just for drawing. <laughs> <laughs> They're just not for holding pencils. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm doing a fisticuff motion um, for you uh, audience members I mean, look, at home, which is all of yeah, you. Yaz is the champion of Kukuru's Dones Island, which is the martial arts mobile suit island as we know so that makes sense to me metaphorically he's just engaging tomino like two <laughs> like 70 and 80 year old men just doing a fisticuff with just announcing that he's going to do kukuru's don film do you think he threw a rock uh, tomino threw a rock at <laughs> what's the uh what's the walter Matthau film like grumpy old man is that the t- title of the movie Grumpy old man. Oh, um, angry old men. Is that what you're angry it, old, like? Whatever it is, I just imagine the two of them in the offices of Sunrise, just like <laughs> yelling at each other <laughs> in, in good humor. That seems like something that um, uh, what's his name? Who who's the who who is a uh, uh, Grant Torino? Who's that old old guy? Who's a uh, uh, is, that, uh, is that Heston? No, Cl- it, no, no, Clint Eastwood. Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Sorry, wrong, wrong one. That seems like Clint Eastwood's. He could direct that. He's yeah. ninety years old and still doing weird action drug trafficking movies. Like he could, he could be Tamino and Yas doing the fight in the parking lot. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry. We'll hopefully include the tweet that this is referencing. I don't know. We'll figure that out. Um, uh, Char's back. Uh, this oh, Grumpy Old Man, just so it's not a correction. Grumpy Old Man, Gr- 1993 classic. Okay, got it. Perfect. Was I thinking of t- 12 Angry Men? Is that what I was thinking of, maybe? That, that is a play. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was... Far more grounded and like politically focused yeah, okay. than uh, <laughs> Grumpy Old Man. There you go. Fair enough. Um... So we're 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 introduced, you know, uh, before the the white base. Oh, the thing I was going to say, white base is is uh, uh, being a a decoy. Uh, it is as a like tone moment, as a thing that the the characters have a feeling about. Something we don't learn anything about. The characters are basically all in for the the military stuff as of this episode, and I, I don't really know. I don't know how much of that is a decentralizing of Amuro as a perspective character. He basically isn't one in this episode, these series of episodes. This is kind of, in a way, like this is a little bit more like a zooming out naval story this week, you know, which I assumed Steven had fun with. I have some notes on that. I, I, those are the best action beats for me. Yeah, no, totally. I would agree with that. Um, but uh, it, it kind of fails to, at this point, and and maybe because it's just doing a lot of business, it kind of fails to be episodes like about anything. It, it's a kind of series of things that occur. Um, and the thing that I wanted to mention, the thing that bothered me, and part of the reason why I would love a character like Slager Law on the on the Zionic front, the Zionic side, uh, is because instantly Shar immediately sees through the plan. Like and and he says it to the audience. He turns to the camera and he says, "This is a decoy. The rest of the fleet is going to be launching some other direction." 
And, like, I, I basically threw my clipboard up into the air because, like, okay, he does this. Is that, wait, a metaphorical clipboard or you take notes on a clipboard? I, okay, I think I've mentioned this before. My my initial round of notes, the first time I watch, I, I use a pen and um, mm. I have a, um, uh, a a book I use for my, my analog notes mm-hmm. first time. And then second time around when I'm doing my, like, second watch through, I transcribe my notes uh you know onto my summary page and then i write the summary from those notes basically interesting um uh, that's the only way otherwise i won't there are bits that i'll forget i even still i forget bits i gotta do this this twice and then transcribe it thing um but no the 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 thing is this happens every time it i'm so like i'm just kind of this sent me on this whole kind of thought uh, exercise where i was like why have I never heard anyone describe Shar as like a Gary Stu character, right? I know that's not terminology we really use anymore, and like obviously that's not it's ever been like official like literary critique, you know, as far as characters go. But like, how have I never heard this dude brought up in that that same like sort of bent as like Ray Skywalker or whatever as far as characters? Because like. He has, like, and I understand, like, his journey has kind of happened off screen, but even when you read about stuff in Origin, like, this dude doesn't try to, to do anything in his life. It seems like everything comes easy, and he can see through everything, and it, it's just kind of like a, a, a point of fact for the narrative that he's just excellent at everything he does in a way that I'm like, it's not that I'm sick of it, as much as I'm kind of interested in a zeitgeisty sort of way, like, why have I never heard it before? Like I, we, I've heard so much shit about Amaro that, it, by the way, is not really in the show. <laughs> like, at least not yet. Um, and I gr- granted these characters continue to exist in other forms moving forward. Like, I, I definitely this this Shar is not the Shar that you know exists in the cultural mindset today. But it's curious to me that I never hear people refer to this character in this way. I mean, like, I have my ideas as to why. Like, obviously, he's not a perspective character and that, well, I don't know. That's arguable. But he's he's not a perspective character in a tr- the traditional sense where he's one of our protagonists that we're looking to, to succeed. And so maybe that's just enough for people. But, like, man, I, I, I would really like it if he had, even if they could just show us how he came to the conclusion. Like, Hunter Hunter style, just went through the the things that he's noticing that helped him get to that as a conclusion. But like, and you guys can back me up. You watch the episode. Like he just kind of looks up and he's like, yeah, this is a decoy. <laughs> like, I, I think what's, what's upsetting to me is uh, like, fine. I get it right now. The show is always going to be tripping over itself to show to us how, uh, how effective and commanding and clever Shar is. And it's, and it's been that way for a while. I didn't want really, really, bothers me is that they give us um like some inkling that what he's doing is he's still being a bit of a rogue you know he still just kind of does things impulsively he wasn't supposed to take off in the zanzibar and you know leave earth and all that uh because you know the whole point the whole reason he was in the man anger squadron was because you know of the punishment for for or reassignment at least uh you know over over the garma thing uh and like right now none of that seems to matter and not only none of it seems to matter but as the as the temperature turns up and maybe we can get into some of this too of the um of the shara and sela uh back and forth you know the 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 sense is that we should be getting closer to what his like real true objectives are like at least in the immediate future and 
I don't really get any of that here. I, I'm, maybe I'm just getting impatient, but I, I don't feel bad about being impatient. I feel pretty good about. It. I feel justified. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm. I could have sworn this was mentioned in thirty, but the, the Sela has like a, a a thing she says in this episode where she's like, I I I I don't approve of your mm-hmm. vengeance against the zombies, and like that's kind of like the biggest step forward as far yeah. as like what Char is looking for that we've gotten. And again, that might have been in thirty. I can't remember. I feel like it was. Yeah, yeah, that's when Mariah almost uh, spots the two of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, regarding Char, like I'm, I think I, as a viewer on the show, is like running on fumes. Like I need more uh, backstory for Char. I, mean, I know I'm not going to be too happy with it. Um, I, I stated on a previous podcast that I really forget the whole Char thing, but I've seen enough anime. I, I basically pieced together what I think is Char's backstory. Um, I'll just say it now to call my shot. Disposed, you know, deposed royalty. They're tr- trying to. He's trying to stick it to the Zeon, the the Zabi family in particular who deposed them. Yeah. P- Plus or minus some ideology in there, you know. There's, there's, there's. I, I, I hesitate to completely hand wave it. I'm not out here to be like, yo, fuck Char. I'm not quite there yet. Um, as much as I, I'm. What I'm curious about, really, what I'm constantly wrestling with, with, with Gundam, is the like, the, the. What I perceive is like the zeitgeisty reaction versus like the actual text of the show. Like something else I'll mention based off of where we're at right now. I, I, I could. It's it's not really gay enough. It's not even close. I could use way more gay at this point. I know we're getting there. You know we're 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 you know we're not quite there yet. But like man, uh, th- there's not enough character interaction. Like period. But but even on the, especially on that front, I'm disappointed. I agree, and I wish um I wish they took Shard down a peg occasionally. Like they they say in the text they take him down a peg, but he's basically commanding a fleet all on his own right now. Uh, I am glad in the next episode that. Char's men try to get one by him. I appreciate that, especially because he doesn't give a shit about them. Uh, I just wish that for like the Char character to really land, you have to go out of your way to make him sympathetic to me, the viewer. And I know I'm not like the macrocosm here. There are other viewers watching the show. But I feel like what else other than Char being hot works to his advantage? I guess he's really skilled, but he's such an ass about it. And not even in a fun asshole way either. The, the thing about the skilled part, it's for me, is that the, the where it's difficult to do that in narrative is you can say a character is skilled all day long right um but there it's a little bit more difficult to demonstrate skill at either visually or narratively or what have you and and this is kind of the problem that i'm running into with the character is that like this is clearly meant to just show us that he's he's just so cunning right that's the, that's what this is supposed to be the problem is that this has happened this way every single time. So it comes off more as the narrative actively weighing the stakes down for the purposes of the drama. And and I'm getting it, it like when it happens that way every single time, it becomes inorganic. Right. And this is like this clearly is the product of having to do a show, you know, having to pump out like what is it? Uh, Forty nine episodes is what the original goal was. Something like that. Order, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's just, there's stuff like this that probably is less egregious in the the movie films. We've talked about that as an aspect like already, but that's kind of why if, you know, if if there was a Slager Law on board who took shots a little bit too early and and that's why the the white base is able to survive Char's uh, you know, crazy Ivan that he does at, at the at the uh at the the white base, like that that kind of stuff would do a lot for me, but like I don't know. It's this weird defensiveness, right? It's this weird sort of like, you know, and we talked about this when it comes to how the Xeon are portrayed in the show. 
it's like they know that they're the bad guys and can't win. So they're, they otherwise have every other advantage narratively. And it just feels like there's this, this like, uh, I don't want, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, like a, uh, uh, not contradiction. That's not really where, I mean, contradiction is correct. That is what I'm describing, but like, it, it's this, this weird sort of like, uh, 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 conflict in what they're, what they're doing with the, I don't know. It's, it, do you, does what I'm saying make sense to you guys? Maybe you like, a like, cer- you... like just like a sort of dissonance between the situation dissonance and the outcome. Dissonance is the word. That's dissonance. The one. Okay, that's the one. I got it. That's the one. Thank you, PMC. Thank you so much. This is why you have co-hosts on your <laughs> podcast, people. Uh, Ignis, you also mentioned the compilation film, and just to just to demarcate it here, we are now in compilation film three territory. We're now in encounters, encounters to in space. space. Mm. And we are also past Journey to J- yeah. Jaguaro. We are now in uh, now, the PS2 follow. We're now in the mu- any- much less fun encounters in space. I, you know, I, I'm for everyone who enjoyed my Journey to Jaguaro segments. I'm glad you enjoyed them. Seems like the folks on Twitter also like Journey to Jaguaro. I've had the chance to play Encounters in Space for the first time like a year or two ago, and I thought it, it, it was reviewed better at the time because I think it was more of a, a Journey to Jaguaro was an Armored Core knockoff. Encounters in Space is closer to being a Zone of the Enders knockoff, but it's like, what if Zone of the Enders was inappropriately jammed together with a rail shooter? Right. And I just, like, especially as a speedrunner, you know, a whole game of rail shooters, like, why am I here? (laughs) (laughs) This is not what I wanted. Uh, So, I mean, it's, I will mention Encounters in Space, full of excellent side material. Uh, So, if you really want to get, spend time with, uh, Johnny Ridden and uh, Shin Nobunaga and like uh, the Thoroughbred crew. I love that Koei, Koei game. Yeah, uh, the Thoroughbred crew, the one of the other uh, Pegasus class ships. There's a lot of really good side material covered in Encounters in Space. So, um, and that that side material has been turned into manga as well. Yeah. It hasn't been translated, but yeah. the, it's it's rife for you people who like your Gundam lore. So uh, I, I can recommend it for that, but unfortunately, you're not going to get you know the same level of ah uh, yes, the Zok was the final boss, you know that you, <laughs> we did previously. Sad to say. Mm. So uh, there's some co- talk on the white base about Shar, uh, uh, which I only mentioned because uh, the they're I they're writing the show. We're watching the show that they wrote. And so later, when they yell at us for talking about Char so much, I want to bring up again, you guys are writing the show. <laughs> I didn't choose this. You guys did. Um, I guess we should talk about the big grow. Uh, you know, Shar uh, is, is examining what they've got on that Zanzibar. And uh, in addition to the big grow, we've got some doms. We, we take a moment to specify that these are Rick doms, mm-hmm. which are doms that have been modified for space use. We get our first uh, Vernier's reference, I think, in Mobile Suit Gundam in our UC Timeline watch, right, yeah, PMC? I, I know I you're a big Vernier right. fan from right. way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I believe so. At least as far as, I, you know, as far as Gundam goes. Uh, Vernier is a thing, I believe, so... It, Verniers are boosters, correct? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, but yeah, we've also got the big grow. Um, okay, maybe we should save. I kind of, I kind of wanted to have like a kind of a, a, a summit, a meeting on mm. mobile armors just in general. Okay, right? Yeah, I feel like we burn it all down. Well, so I, I don't know because the thing is, we've got a big one coming. 
a big Zom one coming, and mm-hmm. you could say. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that one is is a, a kind of exception to what we might have to say here. But this week, we've got two mobile armors, right? We've got the big grow here, which is like, it's like the grabro uh, had a bad hair day. Yeah, it's it. it- it comes from the Dorito school of mech design, which really does uh, influence a lot of... Hold on, hold on. Let me speak. Let me speak. Okay. The more angular the features, the better. And I think of Doritos every time I see them. Uh, I, I don't see. really have any hot takes I on the, uh, the Big Row. Uh, I don't find it aesthetically appealing. I like Doritos, but I don't would find you, them Would you describe the Big appealing. Row as the cool ranch of mobile armor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hate... I'm not a cool ranch fan. Yo, you're not a cool but, ranch fan? Classic or bust. I don't like the feeling uh, on my lips after I have cool rain. <laughs> That's a very, it's a very intimate Stephen Hero take, but it's true. And there's a reason why if you pull up to a Taco Bell at 2 a.m., you, you're not going to buy a taco shell uh, that's Cool Ranch. You're going to buy a classic uh, Dorito shell because that's, that's how it's done. No. Yeah, that's how Slager Law takes no. his uh, tacos. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, PMC, I'm sorry. I, I must take Steven's side here. I do not like the Cool Ranch flavor either. I prefer the nacho <sighs> cheese. Uh, yeah. uh, but the, I mean, nacho cool, cheese is fine too. Like, I mean, I, it, it, let me be clear. It's, it's more, it's more than fine. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I had some, I had some this weekend. I got a nice sub, and I had some, you know, Doritos as a side. Well, all right. Well, either way, I agree. I'm not a big fan of the big grow. I mean, grabby claws. I, I'm a fan of anytime. Yeah, you I will say the claws a nice touch, but it can't carry it. It can't carry it. No, the main thing that I don't really get from this, and it's fine, like, they just say that it is, and so I buy it. It doesn't seem like the fastest thing in the world to me. It doesn't seem like something that would be so fast that it would cause a a (laughs) pilot to faint when it takes off. Like, that's fine. Like, it's fine. It it does that because they say so, is basically kind of my, my opinion about it. But I don't know. It does. It looks like it looks like the hat of another mech. Like it looks like, it, like in if a like the in in the way that the Enterprise D can can undock its saucer section, like it feels like there is a a a Zaku running around missing its cap, and that mm. this is that cap. Yeah, this like, is this like is a, the, a horseshoe crab this shell. <laughs> exactly. Yes, and hopefully it doesn't endure like a or horseshoe crabs. Those things you can't kill no. those fuckers. Well, clearly it doesn't. This thing sucks. Like this is the other thing about it is that it's not it's not all that like uh, this is the problem with mobile armors i i think i don't know because uh, we can we can talk about this again when we talk about the zacrello i guess but the the problem with mobile armors is that they feel to me like a extrapol a real robot extrapolation of mecha right like there's this i think when you're doing mecha at all there's the immediate question of why is it walking around like a person right because the the immediate answer you come up with is because because it's an action figure right like that's why it is because it it's a toy for for a child right so i feel like i've always felt like mobile armors were an attempt to evolve the concept in a way that felt organic but it's never i've never cared for it ever they're just big ships at that point Right and like ships can be cool. I like me an R wing. I like me some 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 different ships and stuff. But you know, and I not to put this. You know, I'm I'm Ignis of the big everything is a mech boy. But the the mobile armors feel like defensive to me. Like especially in something that's supposed to be a real robot. It's like the the like well we can't obviously if we we're if they were going to build something better than a mech it wouldn't even be person shaped. You know it would be. The, uh, you know, all of these things have been basically battleships, right? Like, sh- like strange battleships. If you think about 
Kaecilium, Machve's, you know, whatever the fuck it was, the the electromagnetic thing. Uh, oh, what was that? The Wawa West? Oh, the Odsum? <laughs> was it Odsum? Yes. Yeah, that that's called? Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, the Odsum, uh, you know, um, and then we've got the big grow here, and we've got uh, the Zacrella in the next episode. It just feels like, I mean, the next episode one is almost like an exception, because that feels like something from a different show. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I, I wanted to. It's we are we are around the twentieth anniversary of Metal Gear Solid Two, and I wanted to invoke. I don't know if y'all remember the bit from uh, like when Arsenal Gear has been revealed. Yes, and and uh, I think it's like Riding's like, oh, this was the thing that you know, like the the key to asserting power. And at some point, Solidus is like, no, you idiot, this thing sucks. It needs like twenty other Metal Gears to defend it, and a whole package of nukes. This place is garbage. Like GW was the whole goal all along, and like that's kind of how I feel. I, I think in so many. That's maybe a shorter version of what Ignis was saying. That like, th- no, we, these things aren't good. Like we need a whole fleet of, do- of Doms or Rick Doms or whoever you know to 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 fight with these things in order for them to have a chance. Like or even you know I mean. Char, who who is who is a perfect strategy boy, says like we can't plan the whole strategy around one unit. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's just I, for me, it has always felt like a a direction, like an extension of the idea that just I've just never never really taken to. Not really my and and next episode we'll talk about an example of it, like a perfect example of why I don't think it really works. I think I think personally, and this might just be where I rub up against real robot in a bad way. I, I think once you've already set up that the tanks evolved to look like people, like I think you're good. I don't. I don't think you need to cover for it anymore or create other other types of machinery that like extends the idea. I, I think you're good. I don't think you need to do it any more than that. I think uh, the premise already exists, so you're fine. Um, that's just me, though. Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you gentlemen have any hot Rick Dom takes? I know it's it's very similar to the Dom. Isn't it mostly the same? Isn't it just the the feetsies don't have the 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 scoots right? Isn't it mostly that's what's different? Yeah, because the, the, the scoot comes from the skirt. It's the skirt scoot. I, yeah. I do like that they call them skirts. Yeah, I think that's I, I think, think it's that's fun. Good. It's, it's yeah, got, it's like got war story vibes. I enjoy that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The one thing I will say about the the Rick Doms is that I think I prefer Rick the Dom just because I prefer them on on the ground. Like. Of course, they have more weight to them because they're on Earth, but also in its design, I feel like they have more weight and are therefore more menacing because of it. And I will say this. I will plant my flag here. I do like Purple Mechs a lot. Let me just say that right now. Um, I really like the Space Leos from Gundam Wing. Mm. I think that purple slaps, and it looks great against like a space backdrop. The Rick Doms, though, kind of, for me, like bleed into the vastness of space, and I feel like, I don't know, they lack distinction when they're out there floating in space. I much prefer the Doms on land. And if you remember, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Doms to begin with, um, but yeah, Rick, Rick Dom or Dom, I, I take Doms any day of the week. I, I'm I'm a little um, I'm a little annoyed at the kind of like line that's just sort of like, uh, yeah, we don't we're not going to do Zaku's anymore. <laughs> yeah, Rick Doms I, I forever. Some more, some more, I, you know, because we had them at the beginning of the show. We had Zaku's in space; they were fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's fine, whatever. It, the the I guess I don't. For me, I, I I do like the the Dom design, and and I can kind of barely tell the difference between. I should just bring up the picture. I don't have it prepared right this second. Um, the thing that I think that like the Rick Dom has like a little circle thing on its like if it was a human on its breast, like on its 
mantelpiece. What I don't have the terminology in front of me. Yeah. Or a hand, but yeah, you know what I mean. This little circle thing on its chest. Yeah, yeah. I think the main thing that, that it, you know, springs to mind for me is that every time someone says Rick Dom, I think of uh, Koshi Rikdo, the, the, the author of XL Saga. I don't know if you remember, but there's a gag in the start. That is of, a deep cut. It, it, well, I appreciate it. The, the start of every XL Saga episode of the show, mind you, uh, you know, Koshi Rikdo would explain that he's the author of XL Saga and that he approves of the concept, you know? So I just think of <laughs> Koshi Rikdo. I keep thinking of <laughs> those intros when the Rick Doms come up. <laughs> that's fine. Um, <laughs> that's Q the Obi Wan meme. That's a, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Dun, 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 dun. Wow! I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about Excel Saga. <laughs> oh boy. Um, gosh, this week is the week of things that shouldn't be in space, just kind of floating aimlessly in space. Uh, because I feel like the 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 G armor uh really looks awkward in this episode, but not as awkward as the the gun cannon's gonna look next episode. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the gu- port of gun cannon and, and Jubal Easy. Just any like. W- Putting things of treads in space. Yes. Like, feels weird. Big no. I big don't no, like it. Right? No. no, not yeah. a fan. I don't like it, Sam I am. I I just it's just something that about it that feels like visually incorrect. Like it feels I, I think there's something about it where, especially if you're familiar with how animation like this would work, where objects are on different different layers as compared to the backgrounds like i think when you see something like the gun cannon or the g armor just floating in space with the treads like it is i think obviously you know (laughs) assuming some kind of realistic setting here like if there's there were treads on this vehicle it would just it wouldn't float like this in space obviously but like it it would just have the treads right just as a matter of fact if this thing was in space but there's something about having it animated and and presenting it to us exactly the same way as though it was just on the earth where it's harder to kind of swallow the like, yeah, this thing is fine. Just kind of <laughs> floating aimlessly in space. It's it's I'm not I want to be clear. I'm not necessarily critiquing the animation in this episode. I don't think this animation, the animation in this episode is all that poor, really. I think it's fine in this one. I just think that the there's a, it's a choice when it comes to deploying the G armor and the G cannon. Just in, I feel like the the gun cannon, if if um one of the the like if they sent out a a a uh, spacecraft and just like ran into it a specific direction, it would just start spinning like uncontrollably, and they wouldn't be able to really stop it. I don't really think it has direction. Its, its red pajamas like would come right off after that. <laughs> It'd be very embarrassing for the gun cannon. It's just it's just so brutal to watch it go. The, the, there's some business in this episode. This episode and the next episode are going to have some business where we'll see some like uh, you know uh, uh, turbulence in the crew where they have uh, you know trouble getting used to Slager Law and you know Bright is like Slager arm the cannon like Slager what can you even do and Slager's like well you know pilot and uh, guns uh, I could get on the guns for you. But and so bright later is is giving the order to you know start start getting ready start aiming at the oncoming Zanzibar and Slager Law like refuses he's like well you should turn the boat and in in a way that's like okay so th- this is the dilemma they're trying to set up right which is that Slager Law has given an order and he refuses the order for a reason that 
is justifiable, right? It's justifiable that he's like, well, I'm not going to be able to hit anything until you you steer the right direction. But like, the point is, and I know that this is the the drama they're trying to create. The point is that he should do whatever Bright says, regardless of the reason, all the time, forever, military discipline, whatever the fuck, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, but like, so like, is the thing I'm supposed to understand here is that this treatment is special for Bright, or was he just like this all the time? You know, like the the thing to me is that the swagger to me makes it seem like he was just like this all the time. That there's a certain amount of like, I don't know, uh, uh, big dogging you need to do for this guy in order to get him in line or something like that. But mm-hmm. for me, I, I just found this whole bit tedious. <laughs> I was just like. Man, just throw him out the airlock. I'm sick of this dude. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, they're setting up that he's he's effective, right? He's the one who gets the shot, the direct shot on the Zanzibar, well, blah, blah, right. blah. And That's the trade-off. Is right, that that's is the trade-off, is he that can, he, he can do the thing, but, you know, he's going to be, like, verbally super unhelpful about it. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, his, his shtick really runs thin after, like, the first five minutes on screen for me. I want to talk about something that I feel like is telling, uh, and I don't know who to blame this on. This is some some. Uh, this is maybe you could put this away on wikis or bad, but I think this is interesting. So, so in this episode, we have two parallel scenes. We have uh, Sela, who is combating the enemy forces, and she struggles with some some of the different moments of the battle because she's concerned that one of the pilots she's facing off against might be her brother Shar. So she hesitates to fire on the big grow when she has a moment, an opportunity to do so. Uh, and then, meanwhile, we have Shar, who, who's <laughs> to, not to put a finer t- point on it for me. I know I've developed kind of a bias at this point. Um, he's basically like, "Well, I'm sure Sayla can't be on there. Sayla, Sayla loves peace and would surely never go back on the the white base. So this is fine." And and I think what's interesting about this is I was I was you know I, as I was grabbing the the background information for this episode I, I was looking it up on the the Gundam like fan wiki or whatever the fuck and they have a synopsis on there as well you could always check it out that's a that's a dare I'm never taking from the wiki in that regard so like you'll you'll never find something that sounds similar to my my summaries there these are pure 100% Ignis content I can assure you and and this is part of what I where I'm getting to is because. One of the things that I, I would call this rationalizing, right? That that Char is unwilling to alter his behavior to, to, you know, not get what he wants in order to possibly keep someone he cares about safe. Instead, he will just rationalize his behavior so he can do whatever he wants. And and the thing that I thought was interesting was that the the way that the Gundam Wiki presents this is Char worrying about Sela being on board, which he is not. He is, no, he says, he, yeah, he says she wouldn't be there. Go ahead and fire. Like, that's, yes. to me, the whole point of these scenes is that, you know, that Char is not reciprocating Sela's, you know, mood. That that these are, no. you know, two people on, on one, one of them has changed course in their lives, responsive to the other, and, you know, and that's Sela. <laughs> it's not Char. Sela said, I'm going to get, I'm going to become a good pilot. I'm going to get into the war because this shit's got to stop. Yeah, she sailed out of there. <laughs> All right, everyone. I'll see you. <laughs> All right. No, well, that's this is fine. No, this is good. The thing that I I I wanted to call attention to mostly was mm-hmm. how that re- calls back to 
the thing I was saying about Char and how he's received, right? I I feel like sometimes when you put out when you put work out into the world, you're 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 getting stuff out there and people fall in love with stuff that you d- didn't necessarily intend people to fall in love with. I'm not saying that that's what's happening with Char or Gundam at large. I just think it's interesting to think about, especially when you know put up next to the thing that we reference all the time with Mobile Suit Gundam. Uh, you know, that thing Tomino's never seen, Star Wars, which is another piece of work that I think uh, the public at large fell in love with what the creator might call the wrong parts of, you know? Um, anyway, it's just interesting to consider. I think that the 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 stuff with Char, I, I don't, listen, I'm not saying that, like, you know, oh, we need to cancel Char because he's not nice to his sister. I think it's interesting what kind of character behaviors get recognized and internalized in the zeitgeist you know in 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 fan recollection this is something that um in comic books can actually have like a boil like an effect a a a, you know there's something that that i was reading about recently where um fan wikis have sometimes accidentally caused mistakes for creators where they're trying to recall information from decades before and it's on the wiki in a certain way and so the creator will reference that wiki and it turns out that that's not really correct like this is something that happened with a character recently with x-men but i can't remember cannot remember the specifics uh it's fine uh it- yeah that, that is interesting a, a mutual writer whom we all adore and follow Stephen bruce he mentions uh, quite openly, that sometimes he forgot the shit he wrote decades ago, so he literally has to go and f- to fans and uh, you know ask them like you know did this actually happen? And he gets this documentation from conversations with uh, the bookkeepers in the fandom, so yeah. to speak. Oh yeah, well I mean the, the, I don't think this is the thing I wanted to to be clear about. I I don't think it is bad necessarily for fans to catalog that sort of information. I don't think that's actively bad. I think. I think that it's interesting what kind of things when it comes to this sort of subjective stuff like characterization yeah. or or you know the the way that the the uh uh the narrative is is uh the trajectory of the narrative I think that stuff can be more difficult when it comes to like wikiifying everything you know what I mean Yeah definitely uh Slegger does a classic scum move the the classic uh uh Taking advantage of um uh uh uh, uh what's the word not oh, gosh uh, uh turbulence taking advantage of turbulence here uh, to cop a feel I don't know fuck this guy but or rather don't <laughs> you know like get get him out of here <laughs> um the battle is cool I guess I think my favorite part of the battle you know is when um Mechanation's MVP uh, Kai is deployed uh, Kai has a moment here it I I. Th- think this is supposed to be following up from his previous characterization but it feels like contrary to it a little bit he's he's like yeah he says something weird where he's like uh man i i don't really want to be out here <laughs> or something like that and i'm like oh okay i thought you were you were you know oh yeah he says i can't stay depressed like this forever um and i i guess he means me yeah, that, that's, that was my read. right. I, I think that's that's he might say that explicitly in in the dub mentioned Miru, but also like the thing is that you know since that he has become very very gung ho, right? Like he's yeah. his if you were to rate him on combat effectiveness, it seems like he leveled up, uh, and you know, but at the same time he's also like you know Amuro and Sela sure fight like without breaks. What's up with that? 
Um, so I don't know. I don't know where Kai is. I mean, I'm I'm happy for Kai to have uh, moments, you know, in in the action beats. That's fun. But like, where is Kai the character? I'm less certain. Yeah, we get little beats too that are going to add up to stuff uh, moving forward. Like, uh, Sela is. Uh, Sela's behavior is noticed by Amaro, and Amaro is is like, hey, or Sela rather is like, hey, who, what kind of person do you think is in that mobile armor? And Amaro's like, I, I, I don't, I don't know, like a Zeon guy, <laughs> like, uh, and you know, uh, it's it's one of those things. Um, it's funny too because the different translations I have uh, for this are uh, are surprising, like um. Uh, uh, I've uh, the one finds Amaro to be a little bit like uh, dismissive. She he's like, uh, why do you care? Uh, and the other one is just and the one I would regard as a little bit more accurate is she. He's just like, I, I don't know, why do you ask? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, and it's it's interesting. This is kind of why I bring up the tone thing. The the translation that the subtitles didn't seem right to me based off of what I thought Amaro was saying. Again, I can't speak the language, so I don't know. I might be talking out of my ass. It seemed like a lot more rude than he was saying, though. <laughs> it seemed much way more brusque. Can I tell you a scene I really dug, unsurprisingly? Oh, is it the upcoming uh, 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 um, uh, uh, trade-off, the sort of like uh, um, uh, old-timey boat uh, exchange of... I don't know what you call that. There must be a term for that. or the ex- There must be. The exchange of fire be. between the- two broadsides? F- fuselade? All right, so fuselade is when you unleash like a hail of fire, okay. and a broadside is when you, um, yeah, basically unload. Um, very similar to what a fuselage is, or a fuselade, excuse me. I um, yeah, but it's what it's when the white base in the Zanzibar. This is like peak Steven Hero Master Commander shit here. They begin powering up their cannons, and then they proceed to let loose. Like obviously, I dug this scene. Yeah, this it's ruled. a staple of wartime naval fiction uh, in the golden age of sail. And when I use that term, I'm referring to like the 18th century and the early 19th century. So the 1700s and the early 1800s. You know, if you've seen Master and Commander, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. But crews would have to line up their ships just right. And there's so many factors you would have to take into consideration in order to land that devastating broadside. You have to take, and consider, take into consideration the weather. Uh, in the film, they refer to it as the weather gauge. You have to take into consideration the, the ocean and how turbulent the ocean is, uh, the speed of your ship, the speed of your enemy's ship, in order to land that devastating barrage, and that the lead up to that final uh, unleashing of missiles or cannons, that is just exhilarating for me. I dig that shit so much. I could watch. I could watch that eternally. It never gets boring for me. Yeah, the 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 space opera part of what's going on in these series of eps, I don't think is bad. I I think the especially the part that you're talking about is exhilarating. I think they they do a really good job of communicating the energy and the the freneticness. I think. Maybe the the scope of the damage doesn't seem quite right to me. It feels like they're a little too close for the two of them to basically not be Swiss cheese, but that's fine. I can accept that there's, I don't know, a certain amount of hull fidelity or, or shielding or what have you. I don't know, something. I, I, you know, this is one of those things, like, I when it comes to science fiction, like, I'm not too particular about this kind of thing. Like, if they just show me a bunch of lasers going off and the two of them just kind of you know, crawling away from each other relatively unscathed. Like, you know, there's one shot in on the Zanzibar and I think we see the, the, one of the engine sections, one of the, I don't know, the feet of the white base get pierced by a blast. Maybe that's next episode I'm getting confused with. Um, but it feels like there's some damage to, maybe we see a, a damage output that's like four sections or something like that. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think so. 
But the the major, I mean, Shar definitely responds to. But Shar's like, I gotta get the fuck out of Dodge at that point, right? And I thought this maneuver is pretty cool too. So he orders the Zanzibar on a collision course to evade the fire from the white base, which reminded me a lot of Han's maneuver in Empire Strikes Back when he tries to uh, throw the Star Destroyer off his course by charging right at it. Yeah, I think the the, the this part of the action I was really into the 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 stuff with the Gundam and the Big Grow mm, and yeah. the Rick Doms not as exciting. Um, I I did like. Um, Sela's um, uh, move to to vertical in order to get the Rickdom. I thought that was cool. Yeah. That was very good, yeah. And I especially like that she focused more on them. I, I can't remember if she was specifically ordered to, but it makes sense that she'd be more comfortable doing battle with the, the mobile suits rather than the, the big grow, which we, she suspected was piloted by Char. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I thought the, the business with Amuro fainting was like, I don't know. That's like it's it's like flexing about physics, right? It's not even really like it's kind of like, like a callback to some of that that early stuff, right? About you know falling into the atmosphere or fighting in gravity for the first time. The sort of um, sudden change of G forces, or no, I guess the the last time we did the G force thing really was when um, when they tried to launch over the the Xeon forces to get to right. um, to Federation territory and. I think the the one thing I would have I, I I think I'm mostly on board with this. I, I think it's mostly kind of fun. Like, oh my god, will he? You know, he he he's like snuck onto the big row. Will he? You know, uh, be able to wake up in time to land the killing blow? I would be curious if it's intended at all. That like, is this part of Amuro's skill set? Like Amuro at this point, certainly in the next episode, has become, you know, is starting to become you know a a sort of uh, a harvesting killer of Zeon forces, just going going wild. Uh, but like, I don't know, getting knocked out by G forces and coming to, I don't know if that's quite a skill. I'm not, I, I, that's harder to follow in terms of being, I mean, it's, it's dramatic, but it's not necessarily like, ah, yes, this is Amaro. I actually had a note on that PMC and this one might go down as like my final note on the episode. Mm-hmm. But since you invoke the first, uh, few episodes of mobile suit Gundam, that was on my mind too. Like those first 10 episodes of mobile suit Gundam, that original stretch, might go down as some of my favorite parts of 0079, like the physicality, the max, um, the commitment, the commitment to a perceived realism, uh, the simplicity of the cat and mouse chase for me was really exhilarating. Like everything was in motion, uh, so I don't didn't have time to worry about the lack of character development or really the inconsistent writing. Um, and at the time, I thought everything about it was so novel. Um, but I feel like we're just doing that over and over again at this point. Like Bright and company trying to get one over Char, and it just feels so played out at this point. I, I'm not as engaged. I really wish they would ratchet up these space opera stakes by episode 31 yeah uh i i think for i'm I'm right there with you i think we're close i'm pretty sure yeah. next week will be the turning point as far as some of the uh science fiction bullshit goes i'm pretty sure maybe not 33 but i'm fairly certain 34 which is called a fateful encounter uh that that seems to me like uh the beginning of uh the 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 kind of strangeness uh, of the the show to really start manifesting uh, more more acutely yeah this is basically the end i mean you know uh amaro he passes out for like like a minute i guess it's um the gra- the big grow lifting him up to the main cannon that wakes him up i guess uh he just wakes up in time to zap him zap him real good <laughs> uh and so there there goes the big grow uh, uh, and we see there's a scene where there's a soldier a zeon soldier who's like char we should go get revenge and char's like ah fuck that we're going to back off for a bit. Where are they going to go? They're stuck. You know, we're, we can basically get at them at any time. You know, we can take our time here. 
And back on the white base, uh, you know, uh, Bright, who is if n- nothing but fair, unless your name is Amaro, uh, is is like, well, Sliger, you 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 got our only good shot in, so way to go. And Sliger is like, I don't know, I was lucky. Like Sliger, it weirdly is not shitty about this in in an interesting way. Like he's basically shitty for the rest of the scene, <laughs> where he's like, hey, Sela, good job murdering a man. That that's pretty cool. Hey Mariah, do you, do, do you want to? Hey Mariah, do you, you want to take a shower with me? And and Mariah's like, no, no. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll bathe with all these boys. Then this <laughs> is kind of the, the the vibe of this scene. And and like, you know, it, it's it's interesting to end on this beat because we're 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 going to spend more time, uh, you know, uh, uh, with with Sela kind of uh, uh, and the weight on Sela, right? Like we can see here, she just passes the fuck out basically as soon as she's able to sit down, and we're going to continue to see how this stuff weighs on her in the next episode for sure. Uh, but, but before we could do that, uh, we're, yeah, we're gonna not to invoke the bebop discourse, but we're going to carry that weight. <sighs> All right. Well, I guess, I guess we'll take, take a break. <laughs> we'll take a break now. Okay. I was expecting more laughter than that. All right. No, All right. No, fuck you guys. I'll see you later. It's fine. No, I guess we'll take a break. It's not that it wasn't funny. It's just, it's just all my energy's gone now. All right. Um, no, if you have to say it wasn't funny, it wasn't. Don't worry, it wasn't. No, funny. I did, it wasn't. We it, it, it was it was very funny. I was laughing on the inside, Stephen. Anyway, um, uh, 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 break. I'm gonna go cry. <laughs> Sir, uh, Captain. Huh? I'm very sorry about what happened with Dimitri earlier. Drop it. I couldn't care less about a weapon I wasn't even aware of. Right. You'll make it up to me one day, won't you, Mulligan? Y- yes, sir. We have contact with Lieutenant Dren of the Camel Squadron. Been a long time, Lieutenant Commander. Or rather, it's Captain Shar, isn't it? You haven't changed a bit, Dren. Sir. All right. I guess then that's a that's a good opportunity to get back into it. Get get back into the groove of things. Uh, uh, Thirty one was uh, was a pretty pretty fun episode. I think we all. <laughs> oh good great bless you <laughs> thank you <laughs> great episode so far my favorite episode of the podcast Ugh. all right oh boy okay so now let's talk about maybe pmc will just cut in right there maybe we'll all be <laughs> <laughs> uh, now let's talk about uh mobile suit gundam episode 32 uh noodling lots of doodling with char uh the real title is breakthrough uh, Char is pissy because somebody else had dared to act like a primary character on this show, but he allows it due to the understanding of the crew's loyalty to the now past Toquan. Dimitri is out in the uh, Zucrello, and uh, seeing the mobile armors on an intercept path, uh, most of the pilots are in the shower still, I guess. I, I guess it's just Kai and Slager, though, because Bright launches the gun <laughs> cannon with Hayato in it and the Gundam Sky variant. With Amaro. Uh, imagine instead of pants, the Gundam has put the bottom half of the G-Armor on. Uh, and simply put, they deal with it. In light of this, Shar calls his all-pal Dren and asks him to move his fleet to intercept the white base. Kai, Hayato, and Slyker head out, and eventually Sela and Amaro join them. This is a big episode with fights, folks. Uh, the Gundam does something which allows it to surprise Dren and the other Musai craft to their ultimate defeat. However, the damage incurs means that incurred means that they will have to stop at side six for repairs. Uh, this that might be 
this was one I almost sent to y'all before, you know, to, to pull, peel back the curtain. I don't really send you guys the summaries before I read them out on the air. Sometimes I do. Not always. I almost sent this one because I was like, does this count? Is this acceptable? Because, like, it really is. So the thing, you know, we, that we in, in with this episode is that, like, there is a bit of action in the first five minutes. And then it's like. Okay, let me let me start by saying that this script was Kenichi Matsuzaki. The unit director was Susumu Gyoda, and the animation director was Kazuo Tomizawa. And uh, I'm not I'm not this guy. I don't care really. I, I have a lot of fun watching all sorts of animated shows from all sorts of time periods. Uh, th- this was a tough one. This this one was a little bit rough. I felt like this one wasn't quite as good as some of the other ones. Um, Great to take notes on. They're like. Type, type, type. I guess I'm done. All my notes. Yeah. It just flew by. <laughs> this wasn't a cuckoo's don't. It wasn't quite that 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 level. But like, there's there's especially when we're fighting the Zacrello, There's this shot where like Hayato is like reacting with like shock and awe. But like, it's not. There's no audio, so we just kind of cut to the shot of Hayato with his mouth agape, and then cut back to the Zacrello. It's just—is it—is it this episode or the last one? I think it might be this one early on. There's a there's a shot where the nozzle of the beam rifle is yes. already in the foreground, and yes. then the Gundam turns around and the rifle connects to the it's, nozzle, and then it shoots. It's so good. Which is like I was like, did I see that? Is that real? That's one of the Gundam's special abilities. Yeah. <laughs> to, to have the gun already where it needs to be in order to shoot. <laughs> Can I say that at the start of this episode, I had high hopes, you know? Based on the opening few minutes, I thought we were... The episode was setting up a very Hayato-centric story. You know, Kai got his moment in the sun, and I think our short king needs to shine. Um, like, you know, PMC mentioned before, especially, especially with the first episode of the show, like, Hayato has thoughts about the Federation, about the military-industrial complex, and I think that could be fruitful ground for storytelling, and I would really like to hear them. But my hopes were soon dashed when I realized, no, this is not a Hayato-focused episode. This wasn't really a focused episode at all, but certainly not on our, our young gentleman. Do you? Okay. Uh, we talked mobile armors. Um, uh, we're, we've got the Zacrello here. Uh, <laughs> uh um, we didn't really talk about if we liked the big grow. We mostly were were like, eh, we were okay on it. We we didn't really care for it. Uh, no, no one likes the Zacrello, right? Like there aren't like I'm not I'm not going to start the Zacrello uh, enjoyers are not going to log on and start you know uh, review bombing us, right? Like I don't this this thing looks like it doesn't belong in Gundam, and basically everyone recognizes that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why Tomino doesn't. I'm I'm sh- I'm very curious if the Zacrello made the cut for the compilation films, but like it's 70s as fuck. Like yeah. it's very super robot. It looks like it was pulled from an episode of Zambot Three. It's it has a very bright color scheme, like super villainous coding, like over the top villainous coding. Looks like some kind of insect. Um, like I don't like it. It's very ostentatious and loud for my taste. Like too much Big Beck energy. Um, think about Beck's mech. Think about. I think I made that same comment with the Vincent, maybe, uh, Rolo's mech from Code Geass R2. That first mech that he uses had a lot of, a lot of loud qualities to it that I didn't like. It's, it's just... It, it just looks lazy. It just... It, it's really... I don't, like, I don't like characterizing it that way, but, like... And so I, I guess I won't. It just... 
it's just like I, I think the I other know. thing maybe that's striking about it besides saying that it's from you know other 70s shows or other super robot things is that also the um the structure of it also really makes it feel um very aquatic i think one of the things that i i would have liked to have seen is some characterization and like they did this this is what makes this confusing is that this happened with the doms they said we're in space now they have to be for space right that is why they have these skirts now um but to me these uh both the big row and even the zacrello actually maybe even more the zacrello the zacrello feels extremely amphibious it's extremely aquatic it looks like it has little you know like little tanks uh on the bottom of it um you know it really and and you know the 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 big row very much called back to the grab row uh in terms of the just this feeling of being underwater uh and so i think that's what i i feel like that's the biggest hang up for me I have probably have less exposure to things like Zambot than maybe than maybe Steven does. So like, I don't know. How, like, it, I certainly agree with that. Like, yes, this seems right. But even more than that, just within the show itself, it feels like these all belong in the water and we're in space. The the last thing I'll mention when it comes to it is that like I just I just don't feel like any of its elements like marry. You know, they mm-hmm. just don't really come together in a way that I feel like. It, it, like sings with itself you know like the the scyther claws and the like mean snake face d- like you know the uh, even that it doesn't really those are like the closest most related objects to me and then there's like a gun in its mouth uh and uh uh it's got um star trek uh the original series nacelles underneath that you know it's it, i just don't like it it's compact in a way that's like it's like if someone drew a non-fun Gonman from Gurn Lagan. That's kind of the the vibe it gives me. <laughs> like it's just kind of a boring Gonman. There is a fun fact uh, involving the Zagrello though, or Zach Z- Zachrello. How do you pronounce it again? Uh, I'm reading it from my notes. Zach Zagrello. Uh, I just say Zacrello. Zacrello. Yeah, I think that, I feel like that's yeah, how they right. say. It. I mean, here's the other thing. Even you know, even <laughs> the characters in the show. All right, like, you know, even Char says, well, I, I can't really care about a weapon that I never never knew about. So my fun fact is that event, um, in the coding for Mega Man Legends 2, if you dig into the coding and look at some of the image textures, um, there is a hidden image of the Zacrello, uh, and he has a little quote bubble. I'll post something on Twitter. Of course, I didn't find this. This is on the Gundam Wiki, but I thought it was interesting. And the quote bubble above the Zacrello says, leftover space, hmm, what should I do? Uh, but clearly they were fans of... Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, and specifically the Zagrello on the Mega Man Legends. I mean, this is this is why there wasn't a Mega Man Legends three. It's the Zagrello's oh, fault. All right. Oh, too soon. <laughs> too soon. Yeah, I mean, this this is the thing. Like the Zagrello fight's not even fun. Like, like you know, it's just sort of like uh, the. It's such a wet fart. Like I thought, it's such it's so pointless. I thought they're going to build to something else because it sounded like he has like a trump card, the pilot. Um, like I thought he'd come back or like there was some kind of secret ability about the Sacrella, like maybe he can go into stealth mode after he blows up or something and it just no it just dissipates it's, he's gone with 10 minutes into the episode it, it just kind of feels like um, we <laughs> like especially because this is like the first and probably only outing for the G Sky right it doesn't really like pitch a case for itself <laughs> it's fast <laughs> i guess yeah, it, like it just it doesn't like i don't know it's it's interesting i i, I didn't know 
Every time I see the, the top half of the Gundam sticking out of the jet, I'm just like, that. it looks like a mistake. Mm-hmm. It looks like when you're in a character builder in, in some kind of thing, and you purposefully <laughs> add, like, clothing or armor that, like, clips through itself. That's what it looks like to me that you, you chose something that the Gundam is clipping through the other, the top half of, you know? It's, it's just... I don't know. It, it, it doesn't. It wasn't endearing. I guess is the way I put it. It just. It just. It's just this weird sort of blip in this episode. Like they knew that there needed to be uh, uh, a traditional robot fight of some kind in it because this is otherwise a. You know what's interesting about this episode is this is the kind of first uh, sort of fleet combat that we've seen thus far. You know we've really escalated from the ship to ship from the last episode to. Uh, you know, Dren's whole fleet that he's got available to him, which I thought was interesting. Listen, I'm, I'm, I don't know for, for, first off, shout outs to Dren, who has returned, who was a Mechanation's favorite back when he was around. And I guess he, Dren's counterattack. Well, I think, I guess he's doing fine for himself because he's got a whole fleet that answers to him. Like, I don't know, like, because Char is a, he says he's a captain, right? And is, is Dren, was Dren a commander? Is that is 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 that what Dren is now? Or I don't I thought- know if we did we get a rank for Dren in this? He was a I look. I, I think I was on his wiki page. I think he was a lieutenant at some point. I'm not sure if he's gotten promoted. Well, I, and I don't. Okay, and I don't. I I I could have sworn. I just would feel like he would need to be a higher rank than Shar to have a fleet at his command. I is what I would think yep. normally. But he, I don't know, whatever. Maybe he's good at fleet stuff and he just hasn't gotten the rank. I don't actually know if it works that way. My assumption was that you need to be a minimum kind of rank in order to have, uh, you know, command over vessels. But maybe I, I, I don't actually know. In naval fiction, like let's say if I was a captain, like let's say if I was a master commander, I had a captain, I, I have dominion over a ship. I could also have other ranks. There are other ranks above that, like uh, um, post-captain. But in order to command a fleet of ships, you would have to have the rank of Commodore, I believe. And, of course, admirals can do the same thing. So I don't know what the Commodore equivalent is in the UC Gundam right. timeline. Because, I mean, the, the, I, maybe I'm wrong, but, like, Dren is commanding one of the bigger forces that we've seen thus far. Like, at least that the white base is facing off against Solo. Because he's got three Musais, and each Musai launches three Rick Doms, I think, is, is the final count. So we've got, you know... Or maybe it's more than that. Cause don't we end up with twelve Rickdoms and and with three Musais? So I guess they each launch four. Is is that the final count? I think. It's either it twelve or nine. Right. Sounds yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. But it's definitely in terms of like scope of battle. It feels like the like the biggest solo fight, like not part of a larger you know battle since like Garma's offensive when he had like all of the Zaku's and all of the tanks. Like it feels that same kind of energy, except. Yeah, I think you're right to say bigger than that because because it's all these upgraded mobile suits and these full ships with you know all the all the turrets. There's something about this kind of force that feels bigger than the the little jet tanks and you know the the set of three Zaku's or whatever. Um, uh, and even like you know something like Odessa Day, which is the thing I would say is the exception to what I was referring to, is like multiple forces, different fleets of, sh- or, 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 you know, combatants on one battlefield, essentially. This is, like, as far as I know, the biggest thing that they've faced off against thus far. You know, solo, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did want to shout out, not to crib PMC's thing, um, but we've got two examples of uh, fun zero-grav, or low-grav stuff going on in this app that we haven't had in a while. 
First off, we got the maybe the first Gundam uh, space um, railing uh, apparatus. This might be the first time we've seen uh, uh, a, a the sort of like uh, escalator of railing for Gundam in, in low G. Is, am I wrong? Is this? I think this is the first like doohickey we've seen. Oh, I mean the the hallway. Uh, yeah, item that they grab on. I feel like we saw those. I want to say we saw those earlier, like pretty early on, but uh, we and we would have to check. I, I mean, but is, you're right; it's prominent in this, and also I think it's going to lead into the, your other example that you're about to give, which I well, so yeah, totally. The, I mean, the thing I was going to say is that this to me is like the flip side of the the bubbles, where mm-hmm. like I understand, I understand what the bubbles are supposed to be doing, but they they don't feel to me like a like a, actually like a a deployed. Uh, 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 solution to this problem right it feels like a science fiction solution to the problem whereas the this little railing the space rail that you hang on to in low g that makes sense to me i mean like in this kind of environment where it's feasible for one person at a time to be using it you know this is where it would become an issue is that like if you're intended to go down the hallway with this thing you're you're probably gonna need more than one um but yeah I, i like this little bit of business and then the other thing that we see is sayla uh, she falls asleep in the chair with the uh, the seatbelt on, and we can see, you know, what it would be like to be resting in a room under zero-G circumstances. It doesn't look restful. Or maybe she's just stressed. I don't know. I, did, I was mad at this line when Slager walks in and is like, man, everyone talks about Char a lot. It's like, yeah, motherfucker, he's the one hunting us. Like, literally, he's just actively hunting us down. Yeah, dude, we talk about him a lot. It's... I feel like I said the same thing after like I um, came upon like anime Twitter. Like, man, the, a lot of people talk about Char a lot. <laughs> That's not wrong. But as much as I'm annoyed with Slegger, just in general, uh, I did like that this episode takes some time to have Char. Uh, uh, fuck, I'm, I'm talking about Char too. Um, Amaro and Sela interact. You know, I think this this little conversation we've talked about it already a little bit. PMC brought it up earlier mm-hmm. that uh, Sela is is taking steps to become a more active participant in this conflict now that she's seen the steps that Shar is taking. Um, I wish it wasn't like I, I think it makes sense for Amro to react the way that he does because he uh, he's kind of the they're positioning him as a sort of person who. He's very much a, and maybe we'll see this move forward as Amaro continues as a character into Zeta. Um, he is very much a do as I say, not as I do sort of person, it seems like. Uh, it seems like he is the kind of person who will actively take part in dangerous stuff, regardless of how people feel about him doing it, but will, you know, he will protest when other people try to follow in his footsteps. In a way that is not self, you know, uh, uh, observant <laughs> is the mm-hmm. way I would put it. And I think the show knows it. I think this isn't one of those times where I'm picking up on a character trait that the show isn't meaning to deploy to one of its characters. I think this is something that's being done on purpose here. And I do really like the immediate shot when uh, Sela says that she's, she's uh, you know, a little bit envious of Amuro. I just like when she returns to her people floating out of out of the frame. So, well, I thought I'm that was here. very good. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, I thought that was good. No, I, I definitely agree. I also think there's like a, a sort of um, like I think when you're a person who who likes problem solving, sometimes you want to solve the problem 
you know, as, and this is sort of maybe a corollary to what you're talking about with like, you know, uh, it, do as I say, not as I do, is it also like there's a, a, a possessiveness that's like, no, Char is, Char is my problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed with solving this one that's that's not unfair that's that's actually a fair read i again this isn't like well i'm like oh i don't feel like amaro would uh would react this way it's more just i i I wish that we could do this in a way that didn't feel like gendered right Mm -hmm. i don't actually think this is coming off like this was the intention right that amaro is like oh no you're too precious to protect or what have you but that's kind of how it feels and gundam hasn't necessarily earned the the benefit of the doubt when it comes to this sort of thing i'm just not sure amaro would react that way to like kai yeah like what if kai or hayato did that had this you know would just want to say um (laughs) squash gun cannon can't hurt you they're not real oh boy uh, real quick, when Sailor was talking, um, I was wondering, uh, one, one thing I observed was, or one thing I was asking myself was, you know, is this fatalism talking? Like, is this as if she's a Shakespearean character and she's giving a soliloquy about, like, her destiny, like she's been destined to fight Shar or re- uh, encounter Shar again. Um, maybe it's some new type shit, too. Like, maybe did she had a premonition that she'll fight Shar. She feels it instinctively that the two are drawn together. Or is this more practicality on her part, knowing that, yeah, you know what, I'll probably be fighting Shar in the future, It'd be better. It would be good to um, be prepared for it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to learn the answers to those questions if they exist. I, I'm curious to the extent that you know, if this was X Men, uh, I would suspect that Sela could possibly have new type abilities as well. Just because in X Men that tends to be the case, the the whole Guthrie mm-hmm. family are mutants. You know, that that appears to be a a thing that works that way. So it wouldn't surprise me if Sela had my memory. I could be wrong. My memory is that she has like light new type tendencies, I believe. Like which is <laughs> That's what my doctor said last time I went Which is very light new type just, tendencies. Just very Tomino, I feel like. It's just very like, well no, yeah. she's not a full new type. <laughs> she's she's like it's like strawberry beer. It's okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, this next uh, bit of business in the episode is the 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 Musai uh, fleet coming oh, in to before, attack. Oh. Before we get into the Musai fleet, I I had a game uh, for you, for you gentlemen. Oh, uh, no. In in the past oh. episode and a half, we've been introduced to three uh, side Zeon characters. You had uh, Takwan, who was the pilot of the Big Row, Dimitri, who piloted the Zacrello, and Mulligan who authorized and covered Mulligan. for Dimitri. Now, uh, so that's three, three Zionic side boys. And here is my game for you guys. Um, one of the three ap- appears outside of this show in a video game, Federation versus Zeon. And one of the three appears in the origin manga. Okay. Would you, would you care to make guesses? I, and again, so you know, Takwan, Mulligan, and Dimitri. Which one is in Federation versus Zeon, and which one is in the Origin? All right, I'll take. I'll shoot my shot. I really don't mm-hmm. know the answer to this. Uh, Mulligan, Origin, Takwan, the video game. Oh uh, no! Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Takwan, <laughs> Origin, Mulligan, the video game. Okay. Okay. I think I agree. I think I'm going to co-sign Steven's answer. I think Taquin, video game, Mulligan, Origin. 
Oh no, I switched it. So oh, we're on okay, yes. Yeah, so, now, I, yes. Then I oppose Stephen. I disavow Stephen. <laughs> well, Stephen, have I got news for you? Ignis is oh, right. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> should have. You know what they say when you're taking a multiple choice test? You should mm-hmm. always go with your gut. I should have just went with my gut. The show does seem very interested in Takwan, but then I, I guess I valued Origin more than Ta- the video game. But Takwan is someone you would encounter on the battlefield, presumably. Probably, so, yeah, I think that's right. So Takwan and Dimitri have the most interesting visual design. Takwan especially has a lot of business going on with his sideburns, so he felt like a character design that if I was, you know, a, a Craven mm-hmm. Sunrise exec or what have you, if I was like a, a, a this guy. You know, he's somebody that we could design a, a thing around, and I would pick him. That was my reasoning. But yeah, Federation. If if you get cut, like so many people um, reappear and show up in Origin. If you get cut, Yas doesn't like mm-hmm. you as a character because everyone and their mother shows up in Origin. Yeah, this came up recently. I can't remember what I was talking about, but I was talking to somebody about uh, uh, the uh, the to, uh tendency to make something here. I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. It's fine. Yasuhiko's light new type. Tendency. Yeah, exactly. I can't remember the specifics of it. Um, uh, here we go. What was it? Oh yeah, it was um names. It was names. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um. Anyway, it's fine. the The next bit of this episode, next bit of action, are the the Musai fleet coming in. Uh, and the plan is to just deploy as much as possible. So we get uh uh uh, uh you know we we get um we get like a lot. He's gonna get into one of these ships here. Uh, and we see his his pilot outfit. Do you? On his helmet, is that an S for Slagger? Is that what's going on on I his think helmet? So, right? <laughs> it must be. It kind of reminds me of Zex's belt buckle. Yeah, with the Z. Just, I just wasn't sure if that was purposeful. If that was something that we were to understand, like he's got like a personalized pilot outfit. I feel like Slagger Law could really hang with like Otto and some of his ex's boys. Like he would sure. fit in much better yeah. there. Yeah, sure. He's a real close talker too. Like he's right up in your face. If you like uh, screenshot that pic of him talking to Amar, he's yeah, right up there. It's like a sign. He is gag. a close talker. Uh, we got a, we got some more business with um, Slagger. Kind of uh, not. This is where I get annoyed with the whole Slagger beat, right? Because like in addition, this to me makes it seem like he's just undisciplined, right? It's it's not even just that he's being shitty to Bright because Bright is a baby, a baby tacos for baby. Like this, this early shot here makes it seem like he's he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, right? Mm-hmm. He's the, which is part of why he got put on the white base. And I'm just like, I just kind of wish at this point, you know, for something that I was happy about, the idea of shaking things up with a new character. I, I'm I'm in a bad place with him now, where I'm just like, well, now I just want you to go away. I just don't want you around. <laughs> if you're just gonna mm-hmm. start shit, I really don't care. <laughs> He, I, I honestly don't know what happens to him, but he has disposable character written right on his forehead. I imagine that a Slagger will be, you know, biting the bullets, so to speak, sometime before the end My of this war. My memory is that he gets big zommed. I'm pretty sure he, he is, he is, he is zammed to death, but, but I, I could be wrong. Maybe he survives. <laughs> I do not remember. Um, so, you know, uh, the... This is tough because I feel like as podcasters, we're, we're not really excellent at the discussions of the battles per se. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is like a, especially, yeah. well, this is especially not a great battle, right? Like it's it's kind of, it, I don't really feel like I get a great sense. You, I kind of made fun of it in the summary. I don't get a great sense of what the Gundam is doing. It feels like it's kind of doing like 
I think it's trying to do a Wrath of Khan thing where the Gundam is coming at the Musais from a weird angle. And so it doesn't see it. The, the, the Gundam is not detected in time for, cause that's the, there's the whole business where there's a Rick Dom outside. Who's kind of like, Ooh, like he keeps shrugging off to the guys of the Musai. And I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> I really like, do like, I don't know. So like, here's the thing I'll say is that sometimes I can be in the mood for a conflict that feels in a lot of ways one-sided. Sometimes right. I just want slaughter, like and and slaughter to the point of confusion <laughs> by the other force. Quote me, sometimes quote you just me, wake fine. And want quote slaughter. Me. Sometimes I just want slaughter. This is, um, you know, like, but like, this is the thing, like, you know, like a close conflict or uh, something dramatic. Like sometimes you just want things to be one sided, and I think the reason I like this being one sided here. Is because the I want to get maybe I'm giving too much credit, but I think what this shows is like part of the reason the mobile suits we were told were so great, or at least I think it has become part of the Gundam lore, is that mobile suits run it on ships in space. Right, right. They just run run the table on ships, and of course here you have the prototype God mobile suit and standard zeon ships and so like this is the outcome that that happens sure once that's sure. unleashed yeah. uh and so from that sense you know just seeing the absolute confusion on like where's the gundam what's going on what are we, what are we doing and it's like oh no another ship went down i i think like that's why I'm like I'm of of the action sequences in these two episodes. This is the one I'm the most on board with because I think it's covering world building that like I I wanted to see and it's good to have. Whereas like I didn't need more fights with underwater mobile armors. Yeah. So to I I want to piggyback off of what you were saying there because I do I do agree that one of the the more compelling parts of a show like this is when you're. The, the, the characters that you have a relationship with get to demonstrate that, yeah, time has passed since the, the beginning of this narrative, and they've learned a trick or two. And so it could be fun to watch them pull off, you know, be, feats that, like, generally you aren't used to in this kind of show. And I feel like if that was more enthusiastically the tone, if it was like, damn, they're getting slaughtered out here, like the white base is kicking their asses, mm-hmm. I would have been more on board. And I'm not, this is not me saying PMC, so your your point of view on this is fucking wrong. <laughs> like, that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. What I'm saying instead is that I, I'm I'm with that. I feel like if it, the that point of view helps me feel better about the action in this episode and the general trajectory, but like, man, maybe there was a, some combination of like the first like ten minutes that told my brain like, oh, this is a this is a no thinkum episode, <laughs> you know, had empty <laughs> no thoughts for this one. Um, uh, on that thought, I, I, it is nice to see Sela adopt a slightly more dominant position on the battlefield, like her. Um, ordering Hayato to say, listen, Hayato, we'll only win if we coordinate with the others, kind of like, because Hayato was like, yeah, let's split up the forces. And she's like, no, um, we should do this. And it, it's nice to see an acknowledgement of her skills growing over time, just because she's an experienced fighter at this point and has seen her fair share of combat. Um, so it's nice to actually see some demonstration of this expertise. Yeah, I mean the the that was the bit of business I was referencing earlier where the characters are are trying to maneuver around Slager. 
Um, yeah, stuff like that can be interesting. I, I wish there was a more... Um, uh, I don't know, maybe this is me being like, I, I want them to demonstrate this a little bit more thoroughly, but like, I wish there was a moment where it was like, I don't know, a Rick Dom takes a shot at Slager and, mm-hmm. and he tries to evade, but he can't because he's out of position and so someone's in his way. And so Sayla says to him then, like, well, Slager, you're, 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 you hot shot, you're, you're, you need to put it, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Where like, there's an yeah. order of operations that could occur here that, that accomplishes that what you're talking about, but in a more specific, like this is like the kind of cutting to the chase a little bit where it's like Kai and Hayato split up because they, they recognize a problem, which is that all of us are on one side here. And so we need to divide our forces a little bit more just so we're not all attacking one end. And Sela points out like, okay, yes, definitely do that, but we need to do this intelligently so that we're not all caught individually and just separated. Right? Like I, again, I'm I'm with you, Stephen. I'm not trying to reiterate what you said. I just wish the order of operations was a little bit more thought out so that she felt oh, uplifted yeah. a little bit more. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. In Gundam, I'm like in, in beggar mode, like just trying to pick up the scraps. Anything, sometimes uh, I'll pick up on the compliment if I could find it. I will say something else I like, too. And this is I liked this for the same reason as I liked in the last episode. But I like the deployment of Gallant Shar here. Like, it's not tied to characterization, but, like, again, the Patrick O'Brien fan of me loves me anytime two battleships prepare for an engagement. And uh, I kind of wish there was more of that. Because once the, the Gundam enters the battlefield, the, the, I don't know, everything falls apart. It's so by the numbers. It's harvest time, um, comrade. It just ends so abruptly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel, okay, here, I, have, I, I feel slightly different about it because... The thing I would say is that the the once the Gundam enters, two things happen that one that I like and one that I dislike. I I like Amuro taking out that first Rick Dom like a like a punk. I think that kind of rules where he just kind of kicks its head off. That that's great. Amuro should be good. Is is my vote, and and I'm glad to see him do good. Something I don't like. I don't like Dren going out like a punk. That feels wrong to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I've I've developed some sympathy for the the schlubby motherfucker. But like the way that he goes out feels like there's an interesting sort of. We talked about this with Gundam Wing, um, in that there is a choice when you have a character die like instantly, like when 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 uh, Hero uses his finger of God laser and people go like. Bruh! and turn into that like anime dust thing mm-hmm. that doesn't have quite the same impact as at least for me being sucked being blown out into space right mm-hmm. being blown out into space to me is one of the most awful ways to die yeah. <laughs> i can think of um and so it's interesting to make that choice as animators right because you could just as easily have the gundam stick the the beam saber into the the cockpit and that feel like a wave of force entering the cockpit and blow everybody away. And kind of the same way we've been used to where it's just like explosions happen and people die. It, it feels different to me and more personal to have these characters blown out into space, which by the way is apparently a survivable thing. We'll cut to that next week. Um, you know, I, until I see Dren's ghost into in the sky, I, I will not. I will assume he survived this event. Well, this you bring up a, a a good point, and you know, I would be curious if uh if we have like some real military ass Gundam listeners that have somehow survived with us to this point. <laughs> a thing I would be curious about is um is there some kind of series logic to when characters will wear normal suits on the bridge and when they won't 
because mm. I feel like that happened. Like certainly the pilots, the mobile suit pilots, 100%. If you're in a ship, if you're, you're in a fighter jet, if you're in a mobile suit, you're wearing a normal suit. Makes sense. Uh, but we don't always see, uh, you know, I think later on, I want to say there are times, maybe it becomes more standard later on, but like, I have to assume, based on the episode preview for next week, that part of the reason Tem Ray survived is that when we saw him in the first episode, he was in a normal suit. Now, of course, totally doesn't mean at infinite oxygen, but certainly he was going to fare better than Dren, uh, you know, was, did being you know sucked out of the, the front bridge uh, uh, right. explosion. So, uh, yeah, mostly Loaded. I'm just curious to see, like, because that's, um, to me, that's like one of the hallmarks of... Um, of of like hard sci-fi space combat like the expanse as a popular modern example of hard sci-fi anytime they're going into combat everyone is in a suit like always oh because they expect to get depressurized like that's gonna happen probably right no totally and and i only call attention to it because I find it interesting when this is something that gets real gruesome if you go to something like um, Iron-Blooded Orphans, where uh, the deaths are are visceral and awful, basically on purpose. Um, I just get real curious when the animators make these calls, because they have to... We've talked about this before, like, every piece of animation is meticulously crafted, and, and they basically have to stare at it over time to a point where, even if there's not a specific goal with all of them, like, someone made a call, like... The Gundam, like, you know, does a, a different kind of murder to these characters. And, and like, I'm not saying that Dren doesn't deserve it, I guess. That's not really my point. It's just interesting. It's different to use this kind of impact is all I'm saying. Like, it's it's not the same as just blowing them up. And I'm curious. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I have an answer as to why I, I feel like this is worth paying attention to. It's just something that, that stuck out to me. Uh, but yeah, this is, um, this is more or less the end of the episode. Um, Char, Char, um, is mean to Dren. He's kind of like, wow, I can't believe he couldn't even. Yeah. I mean, he's mean to Dren and, and I already kind of said it like, uh, I, when I, when I talked about, uh, Dimitri, but when, um, when like Mulligan is apologizing to, to Char again, uh, Char says like, well, whatever. I just lost a weapon. Doesn't even bring up Dimitri. No, Dimitri's yeah, exactly. not even worth talking about. And then, you know, as you were saying, you know, kind of like Dren couldn't even hold out. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 wild. It's a wild thing to say about a character that he it seemed like was the one that he yeah, liked. You the know? One, yeah, the one subordinate yeah. that he actually connected with. It seemed like he he because he, I'll just I'll never forget that that crazy inscrutable face that Dren made to him that one time. Uh, you know, that's that's the, that's how I'll remember him. Anyway, he's probably alive. He probably latched onto uh, a window, just like Mace Windu, because uh, he's... Dren, Dren shows up in Origin, so it's not the last you'll see of him, even though it takes chronologically takes place before this. But uh, yeah, we, uh, we're, we're introduced to the idea of Side 6 again, that uh, it is a neutral territory where they'll be able to may possibly make repairs on the white base. I think it's worth noting that the reason it's a neutral territory where combat isn't allowed is due to the Antarctic Treaty, mm-hmm. and I only bring that up because... Zeon doesn't give a shit about the Antarctic Treaty. They're very willing to break it any any time. And in fact, already broke it, which makes me wonder why it's still yeah. a thing. It, it, that, this, this, yes. In this show in which Makuve attempted to fire a nuke, 
and was he did on- fire a nuke. He did fire a nuke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? No, yes, he fired a nuke, and by by, but but for the grace of Gundam, uh, you know, it was it was struck down. <laughs> why why worry about this treaty? Because you know it's going to be like here's the thing. I mean, this is kind of the difference, right, between Zeon and Federation is that Zeon will just flagrantly break the treaty when it's convenient for them, and the Federation will like noodle around the treaty when it's convenient for them right like that's kind right. of the, the the differences here well like and this i guess we'll find out more as mm. we because we're definitely winding down here and i'm not trying to extend the podcast mm. here but but uh, we'll find out more maybe next week when we when we get into this but like you would assume that if you break the antarctic treaty that you would lose access to certain things like a neutral colony right but i think something we'll learn uh moving forward is that like side six basically exists at the behest of Zeon that like, not necessarily that they're run by Zeon, but like they're close enough to the action that they can't, they, you know, Zeon could just roll in with like a million dudes and just take it. And then I'm sure that's what's going on, but man, that's, <laughs> that yeah. is some shit, right? I mean, it's kind of right. It's kind of the <laughs> yeah, plot so- of, of war in the pocket is, is like commander killing yeah. is right over there waiting. Yeah. <laughs> Machinations is coming full circle here. We are returning to Side Six, a different space colony, but still Side Six nonetheless. The the uh, the Switzerland of space, as no one calls it. I'm very curious um, to see how Gundam frames Side Six, Mobile Suit Gundam 0079. I mean, as possibly complicit with the structural rot that surrounds it. Like this is really super fertile ground for world building. And I really hope they don't fuck this up because I have no memory of this episode. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see as we move forward. Uh, I, I'm looking forward less to this one than I am 34. 34, I'm really looking forward to. I'm expecting that things will start to get real exciting moving forward from there. Uh, we're going to wind this down. Uh, I think we're pretty much done with this set of episodes. If you have any questions for us, any prompts for things that you want us to answer, any shows that you'd be interested in us talking about, you can always send that stuff over to our email, machinationspod at gmail.com. If you're not an email person, if you don't feel like typing all that up, I feel that. You can also tweet at us at machinationspod. Um, you could find me on Twitter. I am at Ignis Maddox. Uh, Steven, what about you? At underscore Steven underscore hero. And PMC? You can find me on Twitch and Twitter. At PMC Trilogy. So yeah, next week we'll be at Side 6 and we will possibly meet a number of characters, some that we know uh, previously and some that we've never met before and that Ignis keeps forgetting exists. But uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I guess we'll uh, catch you then. Uh, See ya! See ya!